0: Angela's right. We can't beat them, but we don't have to lose to them either. Maybe there's a way to stop them from winning. Mr. Robot, the ever-present silent observer, watching me at all times, even when I can't see him, listening in on our conversations. He's always a step ahead of me, because he is me. Maybe he's the key to this. Maybe he's always been the key to this. What if I could be the silent observer? In middle school, I took a visual basic class. I remember my friend Sam telling me about a technique he used to induce lucid dreams so he could study in his sleep. You lie in bed and repeat this mantra in your head. Mind awake, body asleep. Mind awake, body asleep. You're in this with me, so it'll work better if we do it together. Just say it with me. Mind awake. Body asleep. Mind awake. Body asleep. Mind awake. Body asleep.
1: and
2: easy Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Mr. Robot episode
3: review I'm Jason Pistorino
4: I'm Christina Lomangino
3: Oh and I'm Jamal Patterson Wow I, I normally don't get to just say that I have to be introduced Look at that I'm growing up. (laughs) Ryan's not here. He's going on a trip.
4: Hopefully Uh, he'll be back to review part two of the finale, right?
3: Yes. I hope so. Tyrell came back, so hopefully Ryan will.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's a big day. We're reviewing episode 11. That's 2.9 in robot language. Python part one. Written and directed by Sam Asmiel. IMDB gave it a 9.3. And for our viewership, 9 was at a 0.65, 10 back up to a 0.77. I found out that originally, remember how we were talking about, we thought this would be similar to episodes 1 and 2, where it was really a part 1 and 2 aired on the same night? Yeah. Well, this was supposed to be the same way. It was intended as a one-night finale, but they ended up splitting it. So I think that might account for some of the weird feelings for where this episode ended. And the questions left unanswered? I don't know. How did you guys feel about it? Do you think it should have aired as one long?
2: No, my brain would not be able to take it.
3: Too much. They've already been packing in too much information in the time they're allotted. I mean, it's it's too trippy.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty heavy, despite the fact that we actually only had 13 scenes this time. There was a lot going on. So our top three questions that we want to go over. Number one, is Tyrell really alive? Number two, what is White Rose's master plan? So she talks a lot about a trade that was made when she discusses with Angela the greater good, the fact that Mm -hmm. her mother and Elliot's father died so that humanity could be taken to the next level. So what in the heck is that about? And number three is everything that's happening in this episode, reality. We had some weird little hints like Elliot's mantra. White Rose talking about what is real and some other clues that might indicate well, I really hope not. <laughs> I hope that this isn't one of those shows where we find out in the end it was all a dream or none of it was real. But they played with that idea this time.
2: Yes. And the first question is Tyrell real or not? That's a that's one of the bangers. And on our Twitter at CKC Podcast, we have a poll going on right now. And it's, it's just that. Was Tyrell real or part of Elliot's mind? So if you just go to our Twitter, it's pinned to the top. You don't have to search for it. Just hit uh, one or the other, and we want to get a nice poll going.
4: And what are the numbers at right now? How are people leaning? I think it
2: was like 81% real.
4: Okay, so he's alive.
2: Yep. And you have three days to do it, so get on it.
4: And by that, we mean, obviously, we believe he was real in season one. That he wasn't always Elliot, but since he had went missing at the end of season two, and now he's shown back up again, you know, did he die? Is he really here in this moment? Is it part of Elliot's mind? Whatever it is that you think, basically, is he there or not?
2: Exactly. Not that he was fake the whole time.
4: Mm-hmm. So for the origin of our title, we can talk a little bit about Python. I know that it didn't seem to come up a lot. At least in this part one for me, I didn't see a lot of parallels either with the computer meaning of it or the possible metaphors. I don't know if that's going to follow through potentially in part two a lot more to make sense. But as far as tech notes for it, Python is a high level dynamic programming language. It has a philosophy that emphasizes code readability and allows for programmers to express concepts in fewer lines of code. Uh, than, say, in something like Java. And it's supposed to provide clear programs. So the developers actually try to make it fun to use, quote-unquote, and that's reflected in the origin of the name, which supposedly comes from Monty Python. So I didn't know that, but this is what I read about it. The core philosophy, they actually summarize it in a document called The Zen of Python. And it has things that you're not used to seeing when you read about tech and programming, such as... Beautiful is better than ugly. Explicit is better than implicit. Simple is better than complex. So I guess just a whole different philosophy going into this type of programming language. And maybe that's where we can find some metaphors eventually for how they tie it in. And finally, the extension .p7z indicates a zip compressed file. So an archive file format with several different data compression, encryption, and algorithms. We do like to look at the music. I think that it provides a good backdrop for what's going on in the episode. It helps to set the tone and the mood. And there's often a lot of nods like what's going on. I don't know if you guys noticed that the music they were using, quite a few of the songs were from Back to the Future.
2: Yes. Did you notice that when you were watching? I did watching? not notice that. Oh, you're off the podcast. <laughs> I knew it right away. Remember me, like, yelling it?
4: Yeah, you said that it was the song that played during, what, the dance? The prom? Yeah. Well, so first we have our composer. So the song 1.8, I'm crazy, A-I-F-F. Mm-hmm. So I like that he's actually using the extensions as well. And that's an audio interchange file. So, of course, this is Matt quayle the show's composer. And this played in the opening, as Elliot told us about the way he learned to do the mantra for lucid dreaming. Uh, The second one was Night Train by the Starlighters and Marvin Barry. That was as Angie's riding in the back of the van and trying to figure out what's going on. Number three was The Ballad of Davy Crockett. (laughs) And I think somebody told me this actually plays in Back to the Future as well. That one I didn't remember. Which I didn't realize. But maybe it did. Um, And that's when she wakes up in the back of the van. And there's a lot of interesting audio stuff going on there when Hmm. she walks into the house you can hear the ice cream truck music yes you know the jingle i'm talking about uh you can hear crickets just a lot of i guess suburban small town type of sounds occurring you're meant to feel like you're actually in a real neighborhood Mm -hmm. and i guess you would think in new jersey that's what's on the van we'll get more into that later Back to the songs, you have Time Bomb Town by Lindsay Buckingham, which plays as Elliot and Tyrell are in the back of the cab. And finally, you have Earth Angel, and that plays while Tyrell and Elliot talk about the plan. There was something else. There was background music playing during Angela and White Rose's conversation, but I couldn't figure out if that was just um, more MacQuell stuff, perhaps.
2: Oh, I didn't see that. I do have to say, while we're talking about the music, we did have a Twitter follower ask us, was there some Back to the Future motive embedded? All this sung music were pieces featured from the 50s era in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. So we do plan on trying to uh, answer that throughout the episode, because I think we'll keep going back to it. So um, we will try to answer that for you.
4: Yeah, but definitely even more than one song. So, you know, Time Bomb was another one from Back to the Future, I think.
2: All right, on to fun facts. I have two, uh, the 2016 Creative Arts Emmy Award Day One winners. So it wasn't the main show, which will be on Sunday. Right. Which uh, Mr. Robot does have a lot of uh, nominees for. And we will be watching to find out if they win. I can't wait. But for the Day One uh, winners, Game of Thrones won an impressive nine Emmy Awards. The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story, took home four awards. And for outstanding music composition for a series, original dramatic score, Mr. Robot.
4: Oh, I can't believe we didn't get to see that. Was that aired, no. that portion no. of it? No, not
2: aired, yeah. They normally don't air oh, that stuff. Oh,
4: why not? Creative Arts, No Love?
2: Because they already Shh. they already <laughs> say that it's too long, probably.
4: It's yeah, the best part, though. I know.
2: That's what we like the most. <laughs> the, again, the Emmys will take place September 18th let's all hope for Mr. Robot and Game of Thrones to take home all the gold. Oh, yeah, I don't I worry
3: about Game of Thrones. I, I worry about Mr. Robot.
2: You don't watch Game of Thrones?
3: I said I don't worry about Game of Thrones. Oh, you don't Thrones. worry about them. Yeah, like they'll know, just, they'll take good. something. Yeah, I hear you. They're good. They're good. They, they got their share.
4: <laughs> they have trouble, though, when it comes to the individual actors because there's just so many of them. Hopefully Mr. Robot...
3: Dinklage got, right? Yep.
4: Yeah, I think he's the only one that ever maybe got an individual actor. There's a lot of supporting actor stuff because there's so many roles for that on that show.
3: Mm Let's see, Turner got to get something. She did wonderful.
4: Well, we got to be careful, too. We can talk about present-day Game of Thrones, but we actually got a request not to put any spoilers on here. Yes, that's right. Just so you guys are aware. We'll do our best.
2: No spoilies.
4: (laughs) All right, let's get into our synopsis. Like I said, we had 13 scenes, but they are all jam-packed opening up with Elliot in bed, thinking to himself that Angela was right. They can't beat them, meaning E-Corp, but maybe there's a way to stop them from winning. He describes Mr. Robot as the ever-present silent observer, watching him at all times, even when he can't see him, and listening in on their conversations. He says he's always with us because he is me. He's always been the key to this.
2: I have to say, when he's saying that, I knew he was talking about Mr. Robot, but I couldn't help but think he was describing us.
4: Oh, absolutely. That's really been more of our we role, right? We are the right? Silent
2: Observer, yeah.
4: I mean, we've seen at times Mr. Robot kind of hanging out in the background, but really when he's in the picture, he ends up interacting with Elliot at some point. It's not like Elliot has no clue that he's there watching. Or we've heard that he takes over sometimes at night. But this whole kind of bizarre relationship where one of them can be there in the background, unseen and unheard. I'm having a hard time grasping exactly what that means. Because if we are looking at a sort of multiple personality, as we've been thinking and discussing this whole time, when one starts to take over, they push the other to the side. So either there's a blackout for that period of time where this this struggle like we see occurring. I guess maybe when the switching of altars takes place, there could be a time where you feel more like a silent observer. I haven't really heard a lot about that. But it's starting to feel like we're moving into a different territory, the way they're describing it.
3: Yeah, it does. It was very interesting because, I mean, I guess, who knows if we know enough about multiple personalities, right? Like, can one personality observe not say anything, and plot in the background to mm-hmm. do something based on what they see one personality do. So it's not like, okay, I'm just here and I'm trying to take over, but I know what's going on, I'm observing what's going on, and I'm plotting to use this against the other person.
4: Right, but you don't even know I'm there, which is weird, and I, I probably don't know enough to speak to that. That's why I say this could be the case, but if you think about the way that it works and the mind sort of being fractured into these compartments and having to cede to a different aspect of the personality. If you were to start to try to take back over like Elliot, then your personality would be coming to the consciousness. And if it was not, it would be more in the subconscious. So how would it be able to be aware and present of the moment?
2: You're speaking about the scenes when Elliot's watching Mr. Robot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not the scene not this whole series, but just these particular scenes.
4: Well, exactly, but he's starting to describe that in this very sentence where he's he's naming it the silent observer. Very
1: so interesting.
4: If if you guys have any thoughts about that, I'd really love to hear it if you think that this is in fact still the multiple personality switch or if it could be something else. Elliot continues in this scene to describe when he was young, he learned about a technique for lucid dreaming. And in order to accomplish that, he repeats the mantra, mind awake, body asleep. We see him doing this several times, and then the Mr. Robot logo comes up, and there's piano playing in the background.
2: Well, maybe that's the key. Maybe he's not watching Mr. Robot in those scenes. He's having a lucid dream, remembering doing it.
4: I think that's far more likely, and that's what I got the feeling of, that he's trying to recall those times from his subconscious, which are stored down there Mm -hmm. in some way, and you can access this material while you're dreaming, you just wouldn't remember it. So if he lucid dreams, he can have an awareness of that. And be there. Um, And that would make sense for the scene later on when we find the answer to our clue searching. Yes. It's just at the end that that confuses me, so we'll get into that later. For now, we go over to Joanna at home and in response to Mr. Sutherland asking her what she wants to do, she tells him, let me see it again, and looks at the phone. And then she says, of all the gifts Tyrell has sent her, this is by far the greatest we ever received, quote. What in the heck is she talking about?
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm assuming it's the location. Now she knows where he is or the location means something, which is like a secret they had. As far as uh, if there's ever something that happens, this dress, if I give you this dress, or this Mm. dress means something, I don't know. It's weird.
4: Yeah, well, I'm starting to think, at the end of the episode, I know we're already fast-forwarding way to the end, but everything's sort of connected here. Um, We see Tyrell taking Elliot someplace and telling him, wait till you see that they got stage two is finished and you're going to love it when you see it. And it looks like he's leading him somewhere, a physical location to show him something. So I'm wondering if the phone that they pinged came up there. I'm wondering if Joanna knew about this and this is going to be something huge when they find out and this is all the same thing that they're talking about. Oh, I see. Whatever the stage two is and whatever he's going to show him.
3: You might be right. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. I think that the Grandmaster plan is there, and she knows about it because of the location and mm-hmm. everything's ready to be. This is the big unveil. That's why you know that weird psycho crazy bitch.
4: Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what that is, I really have no clue. I think I'm that at the
3: edge of my seat, honestly.
4: I think we were supposed to get more answers. It wasn't supposed to be as much of a cliffhanger. If this was a full finale. Hopefully we are going to see that next week. Now we go to Angela in the van. So she's locked in the back of this red Chevy van which is driving through a tunnel either the Lincoln or the Holland. Seems like they're on their way to Jersey based Mm. on the license plate. This is where the Back to the Future music starts playing and the drivers won't talk to her. So this is the man and the woman we saw take her on the subway. And she's trying to get out. She's jiggling with the doors. She's weakly trying to threaten them, you know, that she made copies of the file and people will know she's missing and come looking for her. None of this is working. They won't even speak to her.
2: At this point, we know it's not FBI.
4: Right. We're starting to get worried for her based on her reaction that she's clearly frightened of whatever's happening, but... I, I didn't feel as intimidated, perhaps, as I should because of the way these two people are sort of non responsive. Yeah. And just a little bit casual. And they're in this, you know, weird suburban little minivan thing. I, it just didn't feel like such a crazy, threatening thing.
2: Did they ever speak? I don't think they speak
4: once. No, they just turned up the radio at the end.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right, going back to this whole back to the future theory that we got on Twitter, which. Everyone has certain points of this theory, which we'll do oftentimes during this episode. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I'm not thinking that this means that uh, this is a time travel movie. Mm. I think that it does have to do with time. And and every time something comes up that has to do with that, we will touch base on that. But to play devil's advocate, I was looking at this scene. Mm -hmm. And it was very odd the way they were filming it when they're in this tunnel. And there's this... (coughs) Vroom. Yeah, Vroom. and they make it kind of look like you're in this space tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. And when they're showing Angela behind the, the cage that separates yeah. her from the driver and passenger. In the van, yeah. In the van. This might be a stretch, but the cage, the way it's shaped, they're little diamonds. But you'll see this glowing, and yes, it is from supposed to be from the light in, in the, tunnel. the tunnel. But the way it does it, Besides the big light, there's always this little one during the mm. and it looked like a flux capacitor. I thought it was kind of like maybe a
3: wink wink.
4: Yeah, when you first said that I laughed and then you rewound and we watched it again, I'm like, okay, I can kind of see that there. I
3: didn't think we were going to bust out the flux. (laughs) (laughs) I had so many gems of jokes waiting to drop and here it is already.
4: No, I mean, that's the thing. I was like, oh, this is just, you know, it's whatever, it's a wink. But he has been doing a lot of the Back to the Future thing. So Mm -hmm. I don't... I don't know that's a little over the top if it's just nodding i think he is trying to point something out it's just how far does that go
2: right i don't think it's over the top because it was very very it was a very undertone thing and it might not even be it that's oh the how lights undertone- themselves yeah.
4: yeah but the music was very in your face
2: yeah because he does a lot of it does have to do with time which we will touch base on during sure. when angela's being uh when she's in that room but mm-hmm. i just thought it was funny i don't think it's a time machine but it's Fun to think about, right? Because maybe you were talking about there was all these, you know, go-to sounds, right? Uh, Cue the ice cream man. Yeah. Cue the crickets. As if when they got out, they went to this quote-unquote suburban Mm. house that once they went inside, the house looked bigger. They're somewhere else. It was a lot bigger than the house looked from the outside. It was weirdly not possible. And then that weird room. So it could have been just a facade.
4: Right. Well, I think, yeah, and we'll get into that. I think that there could be more along the lines of this parallel universe, a little bit of a matrix idea happening here, more so than time travel, which is still very far out there. But there were some very bizarre red flags going on throughout the episode that lead me to start thinking things like that. Um, But anyway, let's come back for a minute. It's fun regardless. Oh, Absolutely. (laughs) But we're still sort of grounded in reality for the moment because the next scene, we're looking at Dom in the hospital. And she is cut up. She's got blood on her that she says is somebody else's blood. (laughs) Makes it a point to tell us that it was not the ketchup bottle. Somebody definitely got hurt. So it's not ketchup. And she's saying she wants to go back to the crime scene and several people are dead. So we know for sure a couple people did die. We don't get to find out who it was yet. Right. Which is really scary. We are assuming that Darlene is alive and probably Cisco is dead, but we really don't know.
2: Yeah, if we had our own, uh, what are those called, Uh, boards, tack boards? Mm Mm-hmm. And we had the faces of all the people that are important to Mr. Robot, and you have Xs as if we're detectives. You have Xs through people that are dead. We would have question marks around Trenton, Mobley,
4: Darlene, Cisco, Tyrell. Because
2: mm. he still might be dead. Yeah, he sure. You got to keep him.
4: him on there. Anybody else?
2: Um, Elliot. <laughs>
4: <Maybe> <laughs> no, he's dead. but
2: anyways, there's still what well, I'm trying Jason, to say is there's have, question marks. You
4: wouldn't have X's over them. You would have little pieces of colored paper covering their face, right? Boom, Red, orange, yellow. Yes. <laughs> So Dom is freaking out and she's borderline getting into a fight with this doctor who's telling her she's in shock and starts going at Santiago who tells the other agents to leave. Before we move on, just a little thing that we caught on the badge of one of those guys is an acronym, FLEOA, which is Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, because I was wondering who the heck this guy was. I
2: thought his name was (laughs) Floa.
4: And this is when... Santiago starts telling her that she's going off the handle. That they're going to force her to take leave if she's not careful. And she's telling him this whole situation is his fault. Because he released the sketch. And the DA and probably the Chinese government are involved. Basically he got innocent people killed. Yeah. Because he didn't listen to her. And now it's a matter of national security. It could be an act of war. They should get the military involved. She's really hitting him hard. And I thought he was going to go at her like you're crazy because she's taking this whole speech to another level. And instead, he kind of agrees with her. I mean, he says something is going on, especially given the weird timing of the $2 trillion thing, which Dom apparently didn't know about.
2: 0% interest.
4: That that morning, China had publicly bailed out E-Corp with an unprecedented no-interest loan. And she immediately thinks it's a trap, that this was planned all along. And... Santiago argues, even if it is, it's the miracle that the world's been waiting for because it's going to solve this huge global crisis, and so they'll get away with it. And Basically, he's not walking away, but they just have to play this smarter because these people know what they're doing.
2: Why is it a global crisis if China can give us $2 trillion?
3: Well, it's a global Hmm. crisis because the United States is the world power. China isn't. If the economy of the United States goes down, China itself will eventually be rocked. Now, China might have the money to lend, mm. but it doesn't mean that if it does not lend the money and boost whatever's going on and people lose confidence that the world is done like any like when when we had our recession that affected the world naturally mm, very yeah. easily, very quickly when we um held up when the Republican Party or the Tea Party or whatever didn't want to approve a budget and basically had the government just falter. China was threatening America because it's like, if you guys lose your AAA rating, we're going to have to raise interest rates and things of that nature. So with a global economy, the United States is the pinnacle. And if that falters, then it can affect Mm -hmm. the entire world.
4: You're taking a major player off the board that's bound to mess with the rest of it so this scene ends with him telling her to go home and rest and that the interview can wait what is he talking about interview with who
2: the vampire (laughs) Um, i don't know because if it's people that were at the scene they would say questioning
4: yeah that's immediately what i thought that she wanted to interview an eyewitness and i was thinking you know Perhaps she has information about Darlene. She's eager to interview her to find out what happened. But then you said that, and I was thinking, yeah, she probably wouldn't word it that way, I guess. And what you were saying is true, that they probably wouldn't be able to hold the person that long, although if they did have something on them, perhaps... But yeah, you could be right you about it. Say interview. You could be right about the interview being with the media, but Santiago just told her that we have to be smarter and quieter about this. Right. So I don't think she's gonna be going on there saying anything crazy and thus why does she, why is she so eager to do this personally? This really seems important to her that she be the one allowed to to do it.
3: Huh. So who could be interviewing? Because yeah. It is um the wording Hopefully it might be semantics. But you're right. Interview sounds like a very weird word to use, right? Like interview? Yeah. I've never heard of FBI. don't interview. They fucking question. Exactly. uh, They don't
2: say, like, we're going to interview the suspect.
3: Unless people want to interview her.
2: Yeah, maybe. He did say we have a couple of hours. That might be it.
3: Because she has to prep. She has to get her mind right. And it has to probably be a debriefing because she's the FBI agent who was present when when a murder happened. And she's the one who called it in, but she's the one who also went there by herself. So they might need to interview and debrief her, right? Right. So that might be it.
2: Yeah, you might be right.
4: Okay, now we go over to Angela in the van and then at the house. This is when... Davy Crockett's playing on the radio and they get to this very normal looking house as we said looks like somewhere in the suburbs it looks like a lived-in home because they enter through the garage they have this tennis ball to mark where they should park
2: the garage has all the garagey stuff
4: yeah typical then they come in through the kitchen which is a little strange it is completely white Mm -hmm. like bleached white And then they go into this black and white living room. It's all monochromatic, there's geometric lines. It's starting to get a little bit strange and it opens up into this large space. And this is where it looks like this can't possibly be the room of the house they just saw from the outside. You know, it's just, it's starting to look too large and and big for, you know, the style doesn't fit. I don't know, it's just strange. And then they're walking along the hallway and there's tons of pictures framed and lined up. Frame
2: after frame after frame. It was a little insane.
4: Bizarre. And the faces all blocked out with these colored squares. So it was mentioned that perhaps they were blocked out because Angie would know who these people are and recognize them.
1: I don't know. But
4: I don't know about that because you would think if it's somebody she would recognize that easily, she would be able to. Tell kind of who they are, even without right seeing those faces.
2: No, we should have done we should have taken like stills of every single picture that goes into frame and try to see what are they different people because maybe it's pictures of different people that are time agents or something like that. I don't know,
4: or if it's just one of their personal homes, like if it's one of White Rose's homes and they don't want that, but then why wouldn't they just take the pictures down, you know? It's like they're sending a message with that.
2: Yeah, she does see it. She does look at it.
4: And as much as the outside looked like in the garage a normal lived-in home, the inside does not. <coughs> no. This looks like a weirdly <coughs> staged, um, sanitized, unwelcoming, cold... Like you said, it's almost like they walked into one house, and by the time they got on the inside, it's someplace else. Yeah. and it so with like
3: different people? I'm sorry.
2: We couldn't tell because... It was fast. There was a lot of pictures, and they mm-hmm. uh, their faces were all covered. Yeah, what, it was did a it little look like blurry.
3: People, or is it? Oh, we couldn't tell. So then it could just be what's White Rose's male persona,
4: Minister Zhang.
3: Right, Zhang. Yes, he has a first name too. Ralph. I can't remember what it was. But they
4: but always refer to him as Minister, but yeah, I was saying like if that was one of his homes, but then why would he care? Because.
3: He wouldn't bring someone. Because he's a to male him. and then he needs to be female for this
4: Then wouldn't you think he'd just take him down? I mean, I don't know.
3: No, it's
2: not one of his homes, because one, he's not a family man. So he wouldn't have all those photos.
4: Yeah, and I don't think he's living in the Jersey no. suburbs either. No.
2: And he wouldn't bring someone to his That's house. Rough. Especially
3: her. I don't know. Who knows what White Rose would do. I mean white it it's the most bizarre. I mean, what do you even, what even constitute a bizarre person in Mr. Robot? I mean, I can look <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, Tyrell, is, is his wife normal? I mean, like, <laughs> what constitutes a normal person in this? Elliot, who talks to his dead father? And us. And us, so. Are we normal? Well,
4: I think maybe Gideon might have been normal. <laughs> we might have yeah. had one normal character yeah, on the yeah. show. Yeah,
3: Gideon, if well, they don't last too long.
4: That's true. Well, so then they take Angie into this room that's empty, except for a desk, which we'll talk about what's on there, a large fish tank, and this really red carpeting, big skylight on the ceiling. There's one picture on the walls. Yes. And it's the hang in there, kitty poster that's come up over and over again. That was the one embedded image from the audio from episode eight, I think. Yes.
2: And you put that on our Twitter, right? Mm Mm-hmm.
4: Yep. That was up there. They lock her in there and they leave. And now we get a look at on the desk is an old school Commodore computer, I think the Commodore 64. And for those of you who don't know if that is the model it was, it was the world's first personal computer, the Commodore that is, came out in 1982, the 64 model, and it was $595 at the time, which was considered a lot of money. It's got this large keyboard. On the desk, there's a floppy disk. So how about that? A nice little throwback, right? A drive. A red rotary phone, which looks conspicuously like Elliot's phone that was in the fake halfway home slash prison.
2: That he was thinking he was talking to Tyrell, right? Oh, yeah, because... Tyrell was talking on the other end.
4: Yeah, well, and the fact that this phone is there is one of the clues, like I said before, that makes me wonder, is this real? What is this place? Because when we saw the phone for Elliot, we thought we were seeing some type of psychiatric facility, halfway house, and we find out later, none of that was real, it was all a prison. Mm -hmm. So is something similar going on in this weird house that now has the same type of red phone? We also see a book on the desk which is Lolita so Lolita was notable for its controversial subject that it covered the protagonist and the unreliable narrator that's a nice little wink here nice. and the plot line of it basically was a middle aged literature professor called Humbert Humbert who was obsessed with a 12 year old girl Dolores Hayes with who he became sexually involved with after he became her stepfather So a lot of weirdness going on, and Lolita was his private nickname for her. Um, I don't know about the parallels, but I do know that this little girl that eventually comes into the room looks like she could be about 12 years old. Right. Definitely looks exactly like an Angie (laughs)
1: lookalike.
4: You know, she's got long blonde hair pulled back into the same kind of ponytail. She's wearing an almost mini me black and white suit. Mm -hmm. So are they trying to show us like, you know, did white Rose just go out there and basically steal some little girl that looks just like Angela when she was little to mess with her? Or is this some type of weird time warp parallel thing where we've gone back to another time? Um, you know, Or is it just supposed to tell us a little more information about Angela? And in that case, do we have to think that perhaps she went through something similar in her past?
2: That's what I was wondering, too. But to go back in the whole time thing, we have the old-timey computer, old-timey phone. I was trying to see if we had the cars, when they were driving by, if they were like old school cars when they were driving yeah, once that they went under the tunnel
4: van did that look like it could still be around at this point in time it's hard for me i don't know cars to uh, tell what kind of year i don't know that model would be
2: so that yes the, those revert refer to time and then also the fact that that could be angela as a child mm-hmm. which another reflection into angela in the past right so that's another wink-wink, or that's another hint. I don't know.
4: Yeah, or if it's kind of this theory that we've been playing around with that we're perhaps within the mind of some sort of AI. So if we're here right now with Angela, and she has stepped into this virtual space where you right. can kind of be somewhere and then go somewhere else, now she's in a virtual reality, Um Maybe that's why all the weird comments from White Rose. Maybe she can alter things and see things in a certain way. And so she's able to see this girl. And this girl can give us some hints more about Angela because, as we'll see in a few moments, it seems like a form of a personality test or a way to figure out what's going on with Angela based on the questions she asks.
2: Now, on our Twitter, we did take a picture of the desk... Mm-hmm. And you can check that out. And I just keep staring at it because the keyboard is bigger than my laptop, and all it is is a keyboard and these huge chunky keys that go mm-hmm. every time you're clicking on it. The just the the drive that takes in the floppy disk is bigger than Apple Pro Tower. Yeah. Yep. And what I loved, another callback, and made me, my brain melt because it just brought back memories is the computer, as it's going, it's making those gurgling sounds yeah. that I remember using as a kid. Do you remember that, Jamal?
3: I remember I had a, a gateway that had keyboards that were sticking out. My first computer was a gateway, and it had those large yeah things. and It was crazy.
4: Yeah, and those processing sounds. The processing
3: sounds was insane.
4: And it's almost displayed in a visually aesthetic way. They make it look beautiful. I mean, it calls attention to that red phone. It's laid out to make you want to look at that imagery.
2: It definitely pops, yeah.
4: So we've been talking about this little girl. She comes in. She says to Angie, we don't have much time. Let's get started. There's water coming out of that fish tank. We don't have much time. Apparently, that's going to measure... The time that they have together as the water keeps going down when it runs out. That's it. So it's a little bit like White Rose's measurement that she's always doing of the time they have.
2: And another shake on time. Right.
4: And she starts typing into the computer and things are coming up. So if you freeze frame that, it says Angela Moss, pink shirt book, land of echodelia, ugly red book, blue book, green book mania mansion pitfall tan book searching for land of echodelia i don't know what half of those things mean could ugly red book have something to do with all of the journals burning in red wheelbarrow type things we've been seeing could the tan book be perhaps that tan journal that we saw when we were doing the clue searching in elliot's apartment Whatever any of that is, The Land of Echodelia clearly stood out because that's going to pull up on the screen eventually. So we were wondering what that means. Now I have to say, this is the thing we were least successful in actually figuring out. It feels like a very out there concept. When you try to Google it, you obviously you get the game. Right, Jason? You were able to pull up. You can
2: play the game yourself, but no, it doesn't pull up to that. You just pull up to a lot of Reddit's. If you want to play the game, you just go to whoismisterrobot.com, which we've been at before, but they've updated okay. it a little bit. It opens up a terminal screen, and you have a desktop. Mm-hmm. Now, before you go ahead and click on desktop that has Commodore 64 or a shortened version, mm-hmm. it's an icon, do yourself a favor. And it's pretty fun. Just type in that terminal, real, and uh, check out what happens. It's pretty funny. hmm <laughs> But then after you do that, you double-click on the icon for Commodore 64, and that same command prompt, old-school Commodore command prompt, will pop up. And if you put in everything that the little girl put in, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to play the game. Okay. Just real quick, the commands are load, quote, money sign, quote, comma, eight, press enter. When it's done, type list, press enter. Type load, quote, land of... Echo quote, comma, eight, comma, one, press enter. When it's done with that, press run. And then when it's done with that, load, quote, land of Echidelia, quote, comma, eight, comma, one, run. And then you'll be able to play it.
4: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, definitely worth it because it's fun once you finally get there and you're able to do it and actually go through sort of similar to what the girl was putting in there. But we figured that this had to mean something more. It wasn't just a reference to these questions in this game. We tried to research it, and you can't find exactly what it's about. I mean, there's a reference to this very old um, book that talks about this famous Italian person. But one of the interesting things I pulled up brought up an article called The Sacred Geography of 21st Century Renaissance Civilization. It was literally the first thing when you Google it and it caught my attention because of what they were speaking about. So the author is talking about reading Kevin Kelly's What Technology Wants and what they're discussing there, that inevitability is a prime component of the evolutionary process. So I guess in one chapter he's talking about all different instances of simultaneous parallel invention. You know, the telephone. There was first one person that put in a patent three hours before Alexander Graham Bell actually brought in his discovery. Uh, it happened with quite a few inventors for the light bulb, all discovering it at around the same time. And wondering why this seems to happen that innovation comes out of society at crucial densities at certain times. To quote them, they said that these competitive incentives for social cooperation evolved over time. And if we want to entertain this reversal of 20th century biological doctrine, it isn't merely intellectual property that gets turned on its head. If technological adaptation, so including all ideas, is partially determined... There must be ways to study the flow of ideas in society, to follow the currents as they self-assemble into the next big thing. They then go on to talk about connecting with other people on this sort of uh, bigger meta level. So if there is a super consciousness um, that extends among all people, a collective subconscious, if you will, that we all experience very similar things and we can tap into that and kind of be at one with every other person on the planet every other thing on the planet um suggesting that that's why that happens why ideas get invented at the same time and technology gets put forth at the same time because there is this connection and we're just not as aware of it and what if there was a way to map it what if there was a way to see all the other people that are feeling the exact same emotion as you at the exact same time and just watch the world light up as you come to that realization I mean it's this whole next level type of stuff and it feels like the kind of thing that Sam Asmiel might be interested in and he might be talking about. This other world, this land of Echodelia, that we're more in touch with that. Maybe that's the parallel universe that White Rose is talking about.
2: Yeah, even the game itself, it does say when you play it, do you believe in an alternate universe?
4: Hmm.
2: Wow. Well, that's interesting.
4: So, that's heavy, I give it to you. But we had to throw it out there because I feel like we are getting into the realm of some bigger possibilities within this show. And even if not, it's fun to think about. Well, coming back to the actual questions that the little girl asks Angela. She says, have you ever cried during sex? Um, At first, Angie doesn't want to answer this. She wants to know what's going on. She says she's not going to do it. But the little girl says if she doesn't, they will punish her. And she lifts her shirt to show supposedly these beatings that she's been getting, the marks yeah, on, on her back.
1: back.
4: Right. Um, the red phone rings. The girl answers it, says their time is running out, and continues with Have you ever cried during sex? Um, no. Have you ever fantasized about murdering your father? She says no. And are you a giraffe or a seagull? <laughs> what about you guys, giraffe or seagull?
2: I guess seagull, because uh, I want to fly.
4: Oh, me too. We're all seagulls? Yeah. It's I fun. So. We never get to hear what Angie picks.
2: No, we don't. And this game, if you play it, you should play it, because there's a lot of other ones, like vegetable, animal, or mineral, and uh, this one's clever, or funny. Is there enough time? Another Ooh. time reference. And one Reddit user saw that some of these questions have a letter in there that's a little yellow tinted. mm and so he gathered those letters.
4: Does it make a cipher?
2: It creates uh, CMVHBA. Oh. And then without I don't want to get too boring. He goes through all these steps, finds a website that has this clue in it, that has this huge line of numbers.
4: Oh, so you can decrypt it.
2: Yes. Runs that through through uh, Unicode converter, converts it, and it's a picture of Elliot, and it says Hacker Man. <laughs>
4: Oh, see, that's where I would get upset though. If I went through all of that nonsense and took all of that time, and it was like another hang in there, kitty poster. It's about the journey. Oh, I guess so. But it a lot of time. Oh wait,
2: and the let me look at this background picture of Elliot again. And where it says Hackerman, which I've seen this picture before, by the way, uh, not in the show but on the, the internet. It looks like he's in space. In the eighties. Okay. Because the Commodore's eighty four.
4: Huh. That could mean nothing though.
2: Nothing at all, but could mean everything. <laughs> could be nothing and everything at the same time.
4: Okay, let's move off of that. I, I see, I'm going to say Angie again. I'm sorry. I just I can't stop doing it. Apparently we did get some questions in about this. I'm referencing Angela. It's a nickname. Angie's a nickname for Angela. And they've actually called her that interchangeably on the show. But I guess as of recently, maybe even this season, they're leaning more towards the Angela thing. So I don't want you to be confused. There's no way I'm going to be able to stop saying it now, though. (laughs) Um, Now we move off of that. We go on to our next scene, which is a big exposition scene. We get a lot of that with Mr. Price. (laughs) Right now he's at some kind of government boardroom with a man named Jack. I'm not entirely sure where exactly they are or what his role is. I heard Secretary of the Treasury.
2: Was he part of the three that he was speaking to in that room a couple of episodes ago?
4: Good question. I think he may have
2: been.
3: Jack.
0: Look at me. I am not the problem here. The problem here is hard cash is fading... ...rapidly. That's just the way of the world right now. And Bitcoin is spreading, and if
3: Bitcoin takes over... ...we are all in a world of hell. It is unregulated, it's already reached its transaction volume maximum... ...and it is partly controlled by
0: Chinese miners. You just accepted $2 trillion from them. Yes, yes. And
3: now I want to use it against them. With eCoin, we control the ledger and the mining servers. We are the authority.
4: Well, he's arguing, Price that is, that they need to use eCoin. That it's equal to one US dollar and would free up the economy. And good old Jack is saying this is unconstitutional. And Price is hitting him with it at the wrong time, even though he's known about it for a while. While there's this energy crisis across the entire eastern seaboard and then he's only there first because he doesn't want to be hit with all the regulations uh, basically price can't make his own currency that's the federal government's job and he just can't make loans in eCoin that you couldn't make in dollars price is trying to tell him that's not the problem that hard cash is fading rapidly anyway and essentially this is the way the world was moving it's just that the 5-9 hack sped everything up. So Bitcoin is spreading. If that takes over, there will be trouble because it's unregulated. They've already reached a transaction volume max, and it's controlled by the Chinese. And when Jack argues that, well, you know, you just accepted $2 trillion from China. What is the problem about that? Price says that he's doing that, but he's going to use it against them. He wants eCoin to be the thing. That way they'll be in charge, they can start making new assets from it and rebuilding the banking center without any federal funds, and it's going to be controlled by a good old-fashioned American company.
2: So we know what Evil Man was working with White Rose about. I mean, we knew it was eCoin, but we didn't know like the ending goal.
4: Yeah, and the extent of it. I know that was sort of a wordy, I'm sorry, recap of that, but there's so much information in this one scene, and that's why I say it's just a lot of exposition. He's basically completely describing to you what his plan has been this entire time.
3: Yeah. Well, that's what I... That, I, I get my word back again. Uh, technocracy. Yeah. <laughs> right? When you have the big corporations. Now, the Federal Reserve is a private... Right, And they are responsible for fractionalized banking. Right, And they even published a book called Modern Money Mechanics by the Federal Reserve in Chicago that basically says, we print money. And we print money hmm. thin air. 97% of currency is digital. Only 3% of actual currency is printed out. So if you are going to get a check from your job it goes into a bank. When they get that piece of paper, it scans and then they type it in digitally into your account. If you're gonna pay, you're gonna swipe a credit card or you can do something, or you're gonna pay by check to buy something else. They digitally put it in. Mm-hmm. So now that you have ecoin that's out, he's right, it's unregulated. And there's a lot of black market associated with it. And since it's cryptocurrency, there's no real way to regulate it because the people control it. He's saying, I want ecoin, which people are already using, and I want that to be the standard of currency. It's already equal to the dollar. Well, this completely takes out the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve, it costs more money. It's probably about $20 to make your $1 when it all comes down to it. And the reason we're able to do it, the Federal Reserve, as a private entity, loans right. all of this to the U.S. government yeah. or the Treasury So, with every dollar that's printed out, um, it can circulate nine times. So, if there's $10 billion that the government borrows from the Federal Reserve, they can basically times that by nine. Mm -hmm. And they only need to keep um, 10% of it on actual reserves, and they lend out. All right. It's not, backed, it's not backed. It's not
4: backed by anything that by anything. The, the rest so, of the nine times. So why not make it digital? Because yeah. essentially, that's all it is—is is numbers in a computer anyway. Anyway, it's already
3: mm. that, and this is where E Corp is gonna set up and now be the mainstream, like imagine, a company. Now, we're not talking about the Federal Reserve, which is a bunch of different private bankers. Mm -hmm. We're talking about one company controlling all of money.
4: One company that's already at the top 1% and already has its arm in such far-reaching ways that we've seen with E Corp throughout these couple of seasons. And, you know, as he says, it's going to push Bitcoin to the side. So they will be the people. They will be the authority. And they they can control. control it. It's just going to come right back into their lap. They haven't really lost anything. They haven't really been taken down. So, so part of this phase two has to be to take down eCoin, right?
3: I don't know. I don't know. You don't need to take down eCoin. You need eCoin to be the perfect balance. You need yeah. eCoin because right now what the government doesn't like Mm-hmm is cash, businesses. So Jason or you work for me, and I pay you guys cash, the government can't tax it, and the government doesn't actually know money exists. Mm-hmm. So they can't actually print more money. If I write you and Jason a check, you and it has a stub, that stub is gonna be saved by the bank, and it's gonna be sent to the Federal Reserve. Right. The Federal Reserve is gonna say, well, we know that we have to print out this amount of money. Because it's they, out
4: there somewhere.
3: Because they write this check proves this service is worth this amount of money, and this service was paid for with this check. So this is how much money we're going to print out. Cash and construction still exist in the black market, mm-hmm. and it's stu- it's it's out there, and people functions, but it kinds of balances out everything. Like yeah. illegal things are made for in cash. Mm-hmm. Since we know that this is how much money is printed out, we know how to. Do black market transactions. So they might want to keep that balance because all these big players who are involved in the legitimate reality are also involved in the dark reality and they know how to launder money to come in. Well,
4: yeah, or more... (laughs) If you keep going to that extreme, perhaps, something that actually has backing, like we were saying before, how the dollar used to be backed by actual gold. It right. used to be a representation of something real that actually stood for <clears throat> something of value. And so, Jamal, you were talking a little bit last time about the actual resources um, that they could be looking to exploit within the Congo, right? We were talking about them right. annexing. Um, Africa and right. potentially taking advantage of some of those real resources. Yeah. I mean, that could have a part.
2: But that might be more about technology because that's our phones have all these.
4: Or utilizing rights. But I'm just thinking, you yeah. know, now that we're talking about money and backing and everything right. else.
2: But with banks, to keep going on that, we already kind of do that with the banking and, and credit. Hmm. Essentially, we were watching this uh, and I'm, I'm going to try to quote it badly. We're watching, if you guys go to Anonymous Official on YouTube, they have a plethora of videos, and one of which they're speaking about this. I think it's called World War III or something like that.
4: Yeah, they're really amazing. We got a question in from one of our clatchers in regards to the link for it, and they actually have a couple of messages that say message to citizens, I think, and they're more general messages that will tell you about the purpose of what they are, um, but then they have specific ones, Jason, like you were just saying, so that might be a good place to start.
2: And this, this one, they were talking about the fact that banks, you know, they deal with credit, and they lend out credit for cash they don't even have because they know they're going to get it back, or they, you know, the whole machine is like it's going to get it back, and it's regulated, quote-unquote, mm. by uh, the fed the feds to make sure that they don't lend out too much, but the the companies that are actually regulating it are backed and owned by banks so it's just this big circle of love
4: and the only way they get anything back for it is is the interest because right. the loan itself, you know, what they're giving you is not backed by anything. So the way they're making money off of this is to charge you interest on the loan. So it's only the American people that continue to feed into this system and to take out the loans and pay the loans that cause there to be any kind of increase in money whatsoever. I mean, if you just turned around tomorrow and said, we're not doing this, it would all fall apart because those wheels stop turning.
3: Right. So, right. Economic energy. You're absolutely right. The wheels will stop turning. So
2: the same thing,
3: but, but with having e-coin,
2: I guess it just puts price in the driver's seat?
4: Right. So you would think that just keeps the wheels turning. So Elliot and F Society and all of that, wouldn't they want to put a wrench in it? If they well, that's what I
3: mean, right? Originally, when I said when they're being used mm-hmm. by one thing, like you think you're causing a revolution and you're just speeding up the gears, right? Sure. Sure. And I thought that maybe I was wrong about that because Elliot has a phase two and he's part of it. But now that I see what price is saying about taking the two trillion and using it against them, like if you mm-hmm. could take two trillion invest and they could get e e, e- coin out with two trillion dollars that they could turn into e coin yep. and start lending out, that that is amazing because like you said, it's fractionalized banking. So if the Fed prints out 10 billion dollars, and the government borrows it, and they have 10 billion dollars in their account. Someone can come and borrow nine billion dollars, take that nine billion dollars, put it in their account for another bank, and that bank would now have nine billion dollars on reserve and lend out eight billion, yeah, or 10 times eight billion actually, from that. Because you're allowed to borrow ten times billion. So Yeah, you said
4: another nine, so it'd be eighteen billion, right?
3: No, it'll be no times ten. So if you have ten billion and they lend it out and um the government gets it, they have ninety billion oh, geez. that they can lend out. So when oh, you take goodness. nine billion <laughs> from them and you give it to another bank, they have eighty billion that they can lend out. And this is all That's from insane. the original ten billion. And they do this fractionalized banking So until it's 70 billion, 60 billion, every bank that it goes to, that original 10 billion sitting there is actually keep getting multiplied by tens every time it hits another bank minus the 10 percent because only 10 percent needs to stay on reserve. So that is our banking system. I have to tell you guys,
4: I'm sorry, talking about all this, and if you do go watch that anonymous video, which I suggest that you do, we played a part of it at the end of one of our episodes for Mr. Robot, but there really is so much mind-blowing knowledge to listen to that we didn't have a chance to play all of it it kind of makes you wonder at the end of it, why do we feed into all of this? You know, all of our lives are spent chasing our tails around these jobs that will get us more money and paying our loans and paying our bills. And when you realize how much of a facade it all is, you know, it's it's like kind of incredible. Um, And you start to get the idea behind F Society. So maybe we can understand their motivations a little bit more and see what their bigger plan is. But I think that for Elliot, he has some kind of an idea for how to stop E Corp from being able to get back on their feet. And you have to figure this was a part of it.
2: Some part of Elliot, but I guess white Rose isn't part of it. Well, white Rose is part of phase two, but she also helped price with phase one or not with phase one with price's Mm. So
4: There's probably more behind her motives, too, though. Well, we
2: know White Rose is a bigger entity, whether it has to do... I think like she's like a Time Lord or something. She's Doctor Who. Hello. I'm the Doctor.
4: Yes, and we'll talk more about White Rose in our next couple of scenes. Just another note here, there was a painting of Theodore Roosevelt in the background of this scene. If you guys noticed, I was wondering what the importance of that was. We got a write-in from Clatcher Nick who told us to look into what Teddy Roosevelt was known for, which was called the Square Deal. So just a little bit of background. He was famous as a US president who became a driving force for the progressive era in the early 20th century. And he championed this Square Deal um, about domestic policies and it included the three C's as they came to call them. Conservation of natural resources, Control of corporations and consumer protection. So, Nick thinks this could be the three things Price is after to achieve, but for his own means as well. So, with eCorp, not the people or the government, he wants natural resources in China, more control of eCorp, and the facade of consumer protection by having people use eCoin instead of Bitcoin, therefore benefiting him. Ah. So, that was a fun little play on that idea. Thank you for that.
2: I don't know if you guys just heard the bing. That was my email. And we just got an at mention on Twitter. Magic Boop just wrote, I believe the music is all from Back to the Future. Significance? Mm -hmm. So this one's for you too, brother.
4: Brother. There you go. And now we move on to Angela and the girl again back in the room. The water is lowering in the fish tank. And the girl continues the questions. Red or purple? She says purple is the key in the room. The phone rings, they put Angie on the phone, and a computerized voice starts asking the questions now, saying, You're standing in a dark room and can't see anything. There's a torch and a match, what do you do? She says I light the torch. The torch fills the dark room with light. You see a door in front of you. What do you do? I open the door.
2: The knob doesn't turn. How do you open I said I don't know. The knob doesn't turn. How do you open it? With a
4: key. I use a key, I unlock it with a key. Thank you. Hello? Uh, She turns the knob. The knob doesn't turn. She says she doesn't know. Finally, she says I use a key to unlock it. The voice says thank you. The little girl hangs up and then asks her, is the key in the room? To this, she looks at the Lolita book and the red hand on the front cover. I don't really know the importance Mm -hmm. of zooming in on that, but her answer is the key was in my fist. My fist was in my pocket any thoughts on what that could mean
3: no fucking <laughs> you guys are the artists man i thought you guys and you
4: we're getting like really out there now yeah. right
3: i have no clue could not figure that one out but it made it seem like i should know and that it was very interesting even Angela's face and i'm like fuck i don't know what this means but i going on a podcast and I'm sure these nerds are going to figure it out. <laughs> well,
4: it was not. <laughs> something adding another layer of depth because up until this point, they were very simple questions. Red or purple, seagull or giraffe. Now it's imagining this potential room where you don't know what's going on and Angie has to think on another level and she starts to get deeper with the question. Yes. She figures out a way to answer it and it's about her having the key all along. And later, White Rose references, why didn't you just leave the room four hours ago? And she, said and she says door the door was locked. was locked. And she's kind of like, really? Was it? Almost like there was the opportunity for her to change that reality if she wanted to. And she was the one that decided to stay locked in the room because she couldn't figure out the puzzle in her own mind. Yeah. But now she can. So I know that part of this was White Rose testing what kind of person... Angela was, so she could right. figure out what to do with her. But I think there might have been more to it as well.
2: Uh, before I forget, because I keep forgetting, uh, because there's so many things to think about. One of one thing is the fish. Mm. We have Elliot's fish. I don't know, this might be a stretch, but I was thinking we're going back to the fish thing. QWERTY. And also, you were talking about the control, meaning she has the control... To change things, mm-hmm. right? And you were even saying maybe she thought up the child. All this is a test in her, for her mm-hmm. that she can control. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of the Matrix, the blue pill or the red pill. Yeah. That room was a white room, but it was a very similar feel to it.
4: And I think it's not a mistake that Esmele is calling in these Matrix references and mm-hmm. having us think about that. And... Up until now, I haven't been going too far with the idea of it, but like I say, I'm pointing out the clues, especially with Angie in this room because this does not feel like a normal reality-based situation, and we'll get into what White Rose says later. For now, the screen comes up. It says it's ready. The girl takes out the disc and leaves the room and says she'll be back with the results. The next scene is Dom at home. Which, by the way, Dom's home is looking a little messy. I don't think she's been taking very good Mm. care of that. Or herself, for that matter. She had blood all over her. She just comes from the hospital. She doesn't shower. She just Mm -hmm. cleans up. Her level of exhaustion, depression, I mean, just sad. Like, this whole scene is so desperate and miserable. She lays down and she starts asking alexa questions she says are we friends i feel like i don't even know you do you have a boyfriend um what is the color of your eyes she's she's really trying to interact with this piece of machinery um she says she thinks that her eyes are gray but she's not even sure
2: yeah i mean she hasn't gone she's had no sleep we already know she's lonely she's miserable the only thing she cares about it feels like everyone's stopping her, including her boss. Mm-hmm. She's not in a good place. And I think in that moment, she was almost falling asleep mm-hmm. when she was talking to Lexi. Lexa. Alexa.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Alexa. Can't shorten that one. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: no, no Lex.
2: To tell her to uh, set an alarm. And there's one, there's one key thing she does ask her. And that is, where are my notes? That is, um, she said, are you alone to Alexa?
4: Yeah, well, first she says, are you happy? Right. Which is really a deep question. And just even before you go there, the fact of her saying, my eyes are gray, I think,
2: Mm
4: -hmm. almost like she hasn't even been able to bring herself to look at herself in a mirror to really...
2: Yeah, but that would mean ever because...
4: Yeah, well, I think she's being partially sarcastic, but I think that could be true. She has a really difficult time doing that and looking deeper at herself. She has a difficult time with a lot of these things, forming any kind of meaningful relationships. This is the moment where she's gone through a really traumatic experience, a crazy couple of days. You would now go home to somebody you feel connected to and talk to them and get this reassurance before going to sleep. And she has nobody. So she's doing it with Alexa and, you know, asking her, are you happy? Asking her, are you alone? And Alexa just says, I wasn't able to understand the question.
2: Right. When we played the game, uh, that 8-bit game, mm-hmm. one of the questions was, what age were you when you knew you were alone? Mm. So it kind of just made me think of the game there. And I, again, I don't know what it means, but it was just something interesting.
4: Well, and make you wonder if all people are supposed to experience that on some level, if that's a question that's put in there. And we do see some of that going on with our other characters, you know, with Darlene and her struggle with the push and pull with Cisco, with Elliot having a lot of difficulty interacting with others, with Angie being very alone in the world right now. So it's certainly a theme that runs through.
3: Yeah. And... You know, she asked something that was very important to me, too. She asked about the end of the world, right? Or the apocalypse, like, right? To Alexa? Yeah. Didn't oh,
4: she? I don't know. I don't think so.
3: So she asked, when will the world end or something? like.
4: Oh, maybe the first, not in this scene, but the first time she was talking to Alexa. Like, when we were first introduced to this idea.
3: Okay, because I was remembering something like that that she was talking to her about. Because, I mean, to me, I think Dom's out of her mind. You know, I think Dom is job-driven career woman who doesn't really know herself. It was very sad to see this scene that you know when she couldn't get onto the interviews and she the her boss told her that it's over. It's like she really feels defeated, like she almost lost. Like what is the point anyway? Like I China is gonna give them this money. We have to creep, and then she just goes back home. And it's just a sad state of affairs looking at her this way. And she's asking a computer, like, questions. Like, (laughs) it's hilarious that it's the computer that's the companion that's going to get the FBI agent through the day. And it goes right back to that T-word that we keep talking about. Like, this is the normal relationship between a woman and its piece of technology now.
4: Well, and her last question to Alexa is, do you love me?
3: Ugh. Yeah, that was creepy.
4: You know, way. and when Alexa responds, that's not the kind of thing I'm capable of. She says, yeah, and she just she's just silent. I mean, there's really a long moment of almost uncomfortable silence, and you can see sort of Dom thinking to herself, yeah, I'm not really capable either, I suppose.
3: B-B. What, didn't That's she call ugh. her
2: bitch or something, too? Is what? Didn't she call Alexa bitch or something? Did she?
4: I, I think more of like a um, a term of endearment when they first started having uh, this conversation. I and I wonder if, you know, how she's feeling towards even Santiago, because she was very upset with him in the last scene. And we were suspecting him in the last episode. Um, yes. We still suspect them Being dirty. Now I, I, I do. not I don't know. They were intending to make you flip-flop a little on that here because in their scene at the hospital he was talking to her like I get it and more along the lines of what I was thinking in the beginning like there's people higher up than me I don't have all the control over this and if you're talking about Dark Army this is something super far-reaching we have to go about this smartly so I don't know they made you feel like it's just that but it's still not enough to completely assuage some of my concerns about mm. him. And I'm sure she's going through that as well, feeling very alone in this personal quest. And at the end of the scene, she starts out by asking Alexa to set an alarm for her so that she can get up to go to the interview. Right. And it doesn't work in the beginning. She gets on this line of questioning. And I don't think she ended up even ever asking right. for the wake up. So is she going to wind up missing the interview?
2: I think so, because she hasn't slept in a while. And yeah, I think she's going to she
3: sleep, sleep through it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But by the way, you are right. I just looked it up. It says it was in an earlier episode that I'm remembering that she <laughs> asked about. Um, will the world end? And mm-hmm. it said, Unless the future technology goes very wrong indeed. Earth is most likely to be destroyed in several billion years' time. Mm. And this thing starts going into maybe we are in the end of the world. It's crazy because it's like a oh my episode goodness. 11 recap, and it's talking about that original
4: a future technology. Well, what I loved was I heard that S-Mail actually put in the real responses of whatever this is. I, I don't know if it's the Android version of Siri this, or, or what. Amazon. It's something
3: yeah, there, Amazon, there's a, there's
4: okay so he put in like if you asked these questions what the real responses are from the amazon thing um,
2: okay that means he cut a, that means he bought it and said i can spend money on this
4: <laughs> because
2: it's for research at least that's what i do when i make myself buy shit <laughs> or, or make myself feel better about buying stuff we should buy this research
4: Okay, now we go to the critical scene of Angela and White Rose. They're back in the room. The water is gone in the tank. The fish is dead. I was really kind of upset about
2: that. Me too. You know how expensive those fish are?
3: Their fish look very expensive.
4: I felt really bad. Well, White Rose enters, she lights a cigarette. She starts talking to Angie to tell her she had to confirm that this wasn't a waste of her time which is much more valuable, by the way. And she is allotted a generous 28 minutes. And her watch beeps throughout to let us know. I have a question to you guys about this and all the other podcasts are talking about it as well, but I noticed it straight off the bat that she gives Angie 28 minutes. Not only is that a super long time for White Rose with anything, if you think back to when she first met with Elliot when he demanded the meeting, she gave him three minutes.
2: Mm, that's right.
4: And I think she gave Dom, what, ten? Maybe? I don't recall. But whatever it is, Angela warrants 28 minutes. I mean, how do you figure? That would, if you judge that by importance, she really has an interest in what's yeah. happening here.
2: Well, she gave Dom 15. Remember when they were in the clock room? It was quarter of.
4: Okay, 15. Wow.
3: Yeah, I mean, it. it, it is... Basically, she needs to figure out what her business partner is doing. Mm. But then, you know, and I don't want to get ahead, but as the conversation gets more into it, this is religion.
4: Oh, yeah. This, this is, is religion.
3: Big. This, this was way, and I didn't catch it until I watched it a second time, but this is religion. This <laughs> is a very, very, probably, you know, I never thought that there was anything more intimate than the scene that he had with Dom, Mm -hmm. this might be a little bit more intimate, if not on the same level. Oh, this
4: blows it away.
3: Because it, Well, I was like, whoa.
4: As much as I was not super high on the episode until this point, and even some of the stuff that was going on with Angie in the room was interesting, but this was on another level. This made me really, really enjoy what was happening here. We have
2: an event and a friend in common. But I haven't been fully able to understand the meaning behind it. What event? It's no coincidence that you and Mr. Alderson became who you are after what happened with the Washington Township plant so many years ago.
4: What does this have to do with
0: Elliot? Do you know him? <sighs> If I told you that your mother and Elliot's father died for a
2: reason, would it make a difference? That they were a trade, a sacrifice for the greater good, that they gave their lives to take humanity to the next level? And you are both who you are today because of that event. You would be a different person. You wouldn't be sitting in front of me right here. You are at the intersection of all of
4: it. I mean, it starts off with... Angela saying she wants to leave and White Rose telling her she's come so far. She's been here this long. Doesn't she want to know why? And that she can't believe she never thought to just walk out the door. And this is what we were saying before. Well, it was locked, though, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's her response. How was I supposed to get out? And White Rose starts with this whole speech. I've always found doors fascinating. They hold entry to unlimited imagination. A world filled with possibilities sits right behind it. It isn't until you open it that you realize such potential and yet a lock stopped you from all of that. So I don't know if she's speaking literally, metaphorically, uh, but Angela tells her that she's a terrible person, basically, because of how she hurt the little girl and White Rose says that was all only a test. Right. It was fake to see her level of empathy or gullibility for that matter.
2: Do you think the girl's fake as far as making it look like would she probably look like as a child too?
4: I don't know.
3: I believe so. I believe it is all 100% calculated. That is back to the future theme. Yeah, I, but
4: it, how calculated? Like was any of this real? Was the room real? Was the girl real? I, I almost All right.
3: What I, <laughs> I mean it's it's so much going on there and I wasn't even trying to get into the parallel universe. <laughs> but it you was, have to was, I was before, and then this was dragging me, and I'm trying to pull myself out of so <laughs> reality. But what White Rose to me offered, because I feel White Rose has got into a lot of locked rooms and would break the lock in order to get what White sure. Rose wanted. Yeah, Angela doesn't do it, and he, she, sorry, mm-hmm. said that this was very lazy of her. Sure, and I, that's that's always been my criticism of Angela. It's not real. She wants to be more than she really is, but she doesn't have the, you know, balls for the ability yeah. word, to just go, go for it
4: to Mr. But, Robot it. <laughs> right.
3: And I think what White Rose is offering before she tells her anything is a chance to leave.
1: Mm-hmm. The
3: door is open, not that it was open, but the door is open now. Yeah. She looks over and she does not walk out. And the fact that she does not walk out means that we can continue the conversation. You are interest. Your interest is peaked. You're gonna sit here and you're gonna listen. Yeah. You can get up now, but I feel like I just told you that the door was open. And the door is still open. What what's changed? You can walk out right now then.
4: Yeah, well and talk about interest. White Rose cannot wait she has done all of this to try to figure out what Angela is about she's been testing her part of this she says is cuz she knows Angela has sensitive information that she doesn't want her to spread and she's trying to figure out if she will uh, in fact she thinks her associates would have killed her 90 days ago and can't believe that she stayed alive this long but a bigger part is she that keeps she she's showing up right and she knows that she's important to Philip Price who's ruining their partnership, and Angela is part of that motivation. She mm. needs to know why. She doesn't fully get it. She says, I am a woman of time, and I don't believe in accidents. I don't fully understand the meaning behind this, but it's no coincidence you and Mr. Alderson became who you are after what happened at the Washington Township plant so many years ago. Would it make a difference if I told you your mother and Elliot's father died for a reason? A trade, a sacrifice for the greater good. They gave their lives to take humanity to the next level, and you are at the intersection of all of it. I'm not going to kill you, but I will prove why you need to drop the mission. Revenge will encourage you to keep trying and find a way to shut down my project, but I don't want your proof. I want your belief. What? (laughs) This entire speech. I was like, okay, first of all, what exactly happened at the Washington Township plant? We know that their parents passed away, but clearly it's so much more than that. She's indicating that they maybe even willingly made this sacrifice for whatever the greater good is, some kind of trade. So their children were allowed to live, perhaps. They were allowed to be part of something that was going to take humanity to the next level. I mean, just... I don't know, White Rose is in it, man, for something bigger. And she wants to convince, convince Angie of that. She yeah. wants her belief in that. And whatever she tells her in the remainder of their 28 minutes seems to work.
3: So what happened when White Rose was at the grave and said that someone originally tried to thwart the vision?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Remember the year it happened? What year was that? Okay. And does it coincide with Elliot and Angela's age? Like, or their parents' death. Or their parents' death. Like what there is... It might. Ce- it might. So I think we it have was 94. Because there's a CEO who, like this great vision. Mm-hmm. So if they had to die for something, because both of their parents ended up working for a company that, I mean, both of the kids ended up working for a company that was contracted to work for E-Corp. Right? Do we know how both of them ended up getting hired at the same company?
4: Hold on, don't go forward. I found the thing. White roses at the grave. Uh, the previous CEO of E-Corp served from 1986 until his death in 1995 in okay. the wake of the scandal. So the scandal happened sometime prior to that. So, yeah, maybe around 94.
3: Okay, so that, that was the CEO. Now we know they both all save. AllSafe was basically a company um, that was contracted by um, E Corp, but Mm -hmm. both of them got a job there and Angela doesn't necessarily seem qualified to work there. Right. If anything, I would say, what's her name? Elliot's sister would be more qualified to work and Darlene would be more qualified. Yeah,
4: and there's always been this weird sort of split between Elliot and Darlene, like they're different in some way. Right. Um, Elliot's sister,
3: not
2: Angela's, sorry.
4: Right, Elliot's sister. sister. And that's why I'm not totally ruling out that they were part of some kind of experiment, Elliot and Angela. Um, If it's this artificial intelligence or whatever, I know nobody likes that idea, but, you know.
3: Where did Elliot learn to program? We don't know, right?
4: No, they never really told us.
3: We don't know. And we just know at an age, both him and Darlene know, it doesn't indicate anything that his father was any good at it it just looks like he ran some kind of gaming shop yeah this is the best hacker and probably darlene's one of the best hackers out there as well right like so you know where did they learn if if it wasn't an accident like was he groomed for this position and like i said Angela doesn't seem to possess any particular set of skills that would qualify her to work at Allsafe, which I always felt she felt insecure about. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were put there for mm-hmm. a particular reason very long ago in order to do something for the greater good. And maybe maybe this is it. It is almost like an um, a uh,
2: chosen one.
4: Well, yeah, but Elliot but, was somewhere before All Safe, right? Because didn't he talk about trashing that server room? Right. Which was not at All Safe?
3: No, right. it wasn't. That was a different job.
4: So it was a different
3: w- job, but it's almost like he went to jail for something revolving hacking, and there was White Rose there to make sure that nothing happened to him, right? Yeah. So it It seems like it's almost like a hidden hand guiding him and 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 like I'm trying to figure out what is the relationship or even when protecting a kid in the hoodie it you know if you go back to the origins of Fight club it almost seems like Mr robot or maybe another personality might be bigger than we're thinking here or something but like, it's very interesting.
4: Well, yeah, and where I was saying about the their part of this experiment, um, and I was taking that more to the artificial intelligence end of things, there also is some other theories about what the potential experiments could be if they were implanted with two different personalities at the Washington Township plant. Um, there's a Reddit thread about this that Nick also provided us with. We can put that up there if you're interested in it about it. But I think that it all goes back to that same idea because it ties in and it seems to be on such a bigger level and I hope that we get answers to that in the part two of the finale because I think we need to at least know a little bit more of the connections and you got White Rose spinning away here now to the point that at the very end when Angela says, you know, what is this when she says I want your belief. White Rose questions if she ever imagined something into existence, basically by sheer force of will. Did you believe it so bad that it happened? And Angela admits that she used to believe that, but lately she started to realize that that's not the real world. Mm. And White Rose says that depends on what your definition of real is, at which point the scene fades to black on Angie's face.
2: Okay, so a couple things about White Rose. I'm really starting to think White Rose is something. I was saying Time Lord,
1: mm-hmm. just
2: because I don't know what else to to name it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I can't. I don't want to say time traveler. I don't know what it is, but it's not normal. It's mm-hmm. not a normal human. Yep. Some kind of overseer or something. But I mean, with her infatuation with time, always, and even with this one. Her, the, her watch was beeping, and she did start the whole conversation with saying, you have such and such time, and my time is a lot more valuable than yours, honey.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but she never once looks at her watch once they start talking. Mm-hmm. She hears the beeps, so she's aware of it, but she never so looks at it she once. Knows.
4: And that happened with Dom as well, where we were surprised that she didn't seem distracted by it. Right. Now, if you want to start thinking craziness... About, mm, I don't know if you want to call it time travel, but parallel universes. Right. This is going to sound a little bit silly, but as a frame of reference, for those of you who've watched Harry Potter, remember when they go back in time in order to try to change things with the time turner, and Mm -hmm. they need to be very careful about when they get back so the exact timing links up? Um, does she need to keep such careful track of time because she is living within parallel universes and needs to be on a very strict schedule? I mean, either that or she's living in the real world. She is very, very obsessive. She thinks that she needs to make use of every single second of every day and in order to get to the place she wants to be at, she has to even time down to the minute to let herself know what's going on. But if that's all it was... I don't think she would be talking about what is reality and needing your belief in this greater cause for the next level of humanity, and it's just a little grandiose.
2: Well, yeah, and that—that's what makes me think there's something bigger going on here. Sure. Every time we get these uh, one-on-ones with her, unless she's with Price, because that's a little bit hardcore. Those are different kinds of one-on-ones. She's talking about some kind of thing like <coughs> alternate reality or. What's real? Red pill, blue pill, green pill, yellow pill. Whatever.
4: And only as White Rose, not <laughs> yes, as Minister Zhang, exactly, which is yeah. when she's with Price.
2: And the, I keep thinking about this, You saying you have the control. You could have gone through that door. Yeah. The key's in your hand. It's in your pocket. It's in you.
4: Like You're dictating reality.
2: So is she saying that we're like in a Matrix-type world, and we can dictate our own reality or Angela can dictate
4: Right, is it only certain people? And I think that was what was lending me to thinking the AI thing because mm-hmm. it seems to come in play with certain characters like Elliot and Angela, and she is now making that connection to the two of them being special and different. And at the crux of it all, she even uses those wordings that you're at the intersection and your parents made this trade, this sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So they're leading you to believe there is something different about them, and maybe that's why they are unreliable narrators, and the world seems different when we're in their viewpoint. You know, Maybe they are different than the rest of us in some way. Anyway, those are big, crazy ideas. I know we <laughs> probably just annoyed a bunch of people, but we have to get into that. We have to consider that at the end of the season two, part one finale, with big speeches such as this, White Rose is on to something. And it's not coincidence that when she says, what is your definition of reality, we now cut to Elliot in his house with the mantra repeating and waking up to this questionable reality. Right. Because he sees Mr. Robot going through the mail at the front of his door and he sits down at a computer with a pamphlet. Well, we find out finally what we were clue searching for, or at least we think, it's the red wheelbarrow barbecue menu. Okay, just for a small detour, the red wheelbarrow thing has played throughout the entirety of season two. We keep coming back to it. Thought we should finally make a note on it that one of our Clatchers referred us to the red wheelbarrow poem. So I had heard of this before, Um, I wasn't quite sure of the importance because the poem itself is so simplistic. But there's an article called Dissecting the Minimal Masterpiece by Tristan Gans. And it reads first the poem by William Carlos William called Red Wheelbarrow. Now, it's going to be a little difficult for you to follow because it's broken up um, strangely into these stanzas. But it says, so much depends upon... A red wheel, barrow, glazed with rain, water, beside the white chickens.
2: Explain why you're doing the spacing.
4: Right, because that's the structure of the stanzas. They are broken up like that. So much depends is one line, and then upon is one line. And so people have said the structure serves to paint a picture of a whole scene, like a moment stuck in time. Uh, The poem which is just one sentence essentially about a red wheelbarrow has delivered the theme that life through turbulent deceptively complex and at times scary resolves to purpose and beauty so through the form the poem itself becomes a beacon of new light breaking through the storm and unleashing its beauty so who knows if that's the metaphor that's being drawn but thank you very much for pointing that out we hadn't in fact discussed the actual poem and back to this scene where Mr. Robot is looking at the red wheelbarrow menu.
0: Did it work? Can he see us? Hear us? Hey, asshole. Now I'm the silent observer, like him, like you.
4: We see that he cannot see or hear Elliot now. So it has worked, Elliot has become the silent observer, whether this is going back in a moment in time, in his dream that he is looking through, or the present. Um, I definitely think that you could be right on the dream theory. But either way, we see Robot is using the menu numbers on there. And it's a cipher message. So each number represents a letter. And Mr. Robot starts decrypting it using a rot13 algorithm, which is basically just short for rotate13. It's a simple number substitution encryption. You replace the current letters in a message with those that are 15 positions, or 13 rather, positions ahead of them in the alphabet. He also says the Perrin pages will help you find your calling, but don't be duped. Cut down the woods there, Airdos. So Perrin is number sets, and cut down the woods means remove all of those numbers, and it comes to a hexadecimal conversion, which Mr. Robot determines is a phone number. But to who is the question? So he calls, and a voice says, 25th and Main, there will be a cab waiting. Now we know where he's off to, why he was so eager to get back to the house and find this information, was to get to the cab. Um, So Mr. Robot starts to leave the house. He looks back. It's almost like he felt Elliot for a moment, but Mm. couldn't see him. And this is where the beginnings of the weirdness of that relationship are happening for me that I don't quite understand. But anyhow, he goes to leave the house and Elliot sort of stops the door from closing. Yeah. So, any thoughts on that scene? I know it's just basically a lot of like hacking and uh, figuring out clues and messages.
2: Well, I don't think it's possible for Elliot to be able to see th- in third person his other personality. So, I really think that was a dream state of remembering. Yeah, me and too. And then, within that, he remembers where he's supposed to go, and then he wakes up. And that's when you see him catch the door. Mm -hmm. But essentially, it was just him now in reality opening the door and leaving. Yes.
4: I completely agree. I don't see any other way that that could play at this point because then what also confused me of him supposedly following Mr. Robot, even though really there's no way that could happen. It should just be him. Well, it is him in the moment and he wouldn't have been able to do that because he wouldn't know where he was going or what his purpose is. But now that he's unlocked some of that and he knows what Robot was up to. Right. He can now go function as Elliot and find out.
2: He's like, wait, I am him.
4: Exactly.
2: So it was like he was now, he realized, oh, I'm awake now. What the fuck? Right. Shit, I was like sleepwalking.
4: And I can just go figure out what the hell he was up to.
2: Does that seem, seem like that to you?
4: Um,
3: I like that explanation. I didn't think of it before. I'm not, like, I've always looked at multiple personality disorder as some great, crazy thing that switched up definitions because all the information we knew about it was so unknown and possibly wrong that I think it could switch up in another 20 years because, like, it's so involved in the mind. It's almost like... I feel you need to have doctors who have the disease to go inside themselves hmm. and explore it to really know what it is. Because it's so, so out there. And like I said, it's been at times where it's gotten spiritual, where I can almost think that Mr. Robot was doing the same thing to him. And he might do he might be able to do the same thing back and forth. But to what you said, that made more sense than me going all... Oh, out there but I believe that you know in, in a sense I believe that yes you can observe yourself because I believe you can do that right now that if you look at what he's saying about your um even your body being asleep and your mind being awake that's a way to lucid dream and like people have done it and wrote down their experiences meaning that imagine you're dreaming and you actually know that you're dreaming and you're having a lucid dream and you're interacting with things that aren't really reality. But when you're not lucid dreaming, a kangaroo can walk right into the room and (laughs) it never occurs to you (laughs) That that you're dreaming and that this is not real. Yeah, Because that is a reality for your time. When you're lucid dreaming, you don't need anything crazy to happen. You just know you're dreaming and then you now feel like you can control things. But when to be lucid in a state where you can control things, it makes you start looking at reality a different way because you're awake and you daydream most of your day. Like we might have started this podcast and you might not feel your ass sitting on the chair or where your arm is because you just get caught up in this dreamlike state, state sorry, being in the past and being in the future at the same time. So to shut your body down and to wake your mind up is something a little bit more supernatural.
4: Well, and it makes total sense to me because this is a very good parallel for a multiple personality type of experience. When you are asleep, you are still there. Your mind is still active and functioning on some level, but you are not consciously aware of that. So... This is a point in time where your mind is trying to clean out and run through all these different things and it's very confusing and when you wake up you won't remember that. But if you do try to attempt lucid dreaming, you can access that and what you're doing is accessing your subconscious, Mm -hmm. which is really difficult. So if while you were awake, something was seizing control of that, say another personality and going about the day, your mind was recording it somewhere, but you just don't have access to it. It's much the same way as a dream. So it seems like Elliot has put that together and figured out that's a way that he could get the information about those times and would also make sense for this next scene. And so the next scene is just very brief, um, him running out onto the street and you just see him following along past what looks like street vendors and looking for Mr. Robot at first. Uh, But then we cut to, before we go back to him, In our second-to-last scene, Angela goes to the lawyer's house.
2: Oh, that's right. And Tara,
4: is that her name? Um, At first, we see the TV playing in the background of her house, and the news is on. Of course, they are giving us this financial update about CEO Philip Price and announcing this new emergency loan program with the eCoin benefits for low-to-middle-income borrowers. I thought that was the key there, the way they're marketing it. But anyhow, the lawyer asks Angela what happened. She showed up there now, but they were supposed to meet before, and they didn't. So she asks if she's in danger and can sense that Angela's not telling her everything. Of course. She knows something's up, and then very bizarrely, Angie first says that she needs her to forget about the voicemail she left, which did we know this is just some voicemail we're not privy to, right?
2: She talked about it. When she was talking to Elliot in the train. Okay. I'm on my way to see my lawyer, remember?
4: Okay, because she was going to turn her. herself in. Yeah. Okay, so just forget that because White Rose has convinced me elsewise and mm-hmm. we're not doing that thing anymore. Um, but then, bizarrely, she leans in to hug her and whispers, don't call me anymore, and leaves. Which would make sense. I'm trying to spare you and save you this, but for the look on her face, yeah. she looks almost crazed. She has this weird <laughs> smile, like she has completely been brainwashed by this belief. Like a
3: robot or something. That white yeah. rose
4: right. Like she's been programmed or at least shown the light of this bigger purpose. Yeah
3: said it's religious. Yeah, Whenever White rose in that scene when she was asked about what it was, almost cried.
1: Mm.
3: Almost cried and had to get up. It was the least amount of control and dominance she's had in the whole meeting. What belief, belief what? And she almost cried to try to explain, like it overwhelmed her. Mm -hmm. And that's why I thought it was so intimate and so religious. And then to see that it blacked out and Angela might have gotten information about this religion or might have been shown something of this religion that we didn't get to see and to see how zealous she is after that, pulling up in the black SUV, walking up to her lawyer and saying that with that look on her face made me know why people will put guns to their head and blow themselves away when they're about to be caught. Because there really is a sacrifice for some greater good here.
4: Yeah, well, and you just said something important, that she pulls up in the black SUV. So this is not the same red van that took her to the house. She is part of whatever this is now. I'm not sure, but...
3: Yeah, talk, so, talk something me. has
4: converted her, and it seems Something's like... Something
3: converted her. And, and, you know, like I said, everybody puts a gun to their head and shoots themselves, and that is dedication. There is something way bigger. Oh, yeah. And it's almost like she's a prophet of it, and so is Elliot, because Elliot is definitely... We never really... Like, why is Elliot, and how does Elliot know White Rose? Mm-hmm. The first time they meet, it didn't seem like... They white each other. rose knew no him.
4: it didn't right
3: but now it seems that white rose has always known him
4: mm-hmm. and
3: we don't get it just from the fact that she says it to angela but just uh, protecting him in jail and then when white rose is being recorded and white rose is saying this is his idea so it wouldn't make sense to me That he wants to meet me when this is his idea. So White Rose doesn't know of this alternate ego of him. So I'm trying to figure out what is the connection. Yeah. And what's. Well, maybe
4: White Rose has only ever met Mr. Robot. Right. Yeah. Elliot
3: was the one asking for a meeting, and you would wonder if he wouldn't know. Unless he's got to hide it from his own people.
4: Yeah, or just White Rose doesn't want to deal with this Elliot guy because that's not the person that's going to make it happen. It's Mr. Robot.
3: Because he didn't say, like, oh, that was the wrong person. It was more like that doesn't make
4: any sense. Right. Exactly the same way of what's going on with Tyrell in this next scene, too. He's like, what are you talking about, dude? (laughs)
3: Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, What was the point of that? Like. Are we on the same page?
4: Yeah.
2: And they must have known she was going to see her lawyer. That's why they picked her up at that time. Yeah. And how does White Rose get from China to Jersey? Yeah.
4: <laughs> it is time traveler. Come Maybe. on, Jay.
2: <laughs> and now what What do you think Angela's next moves are going to be? Is she going to now just bow out or is she going to be there to help oh, Elliot now? she
4: didn't look like it.
2: So she's going to help Elliot probably if she's turned.
4: I don't I think know, yo, Angela because...
3: always goes where the water is going. She goes with the tide. Angela is the easiest. She's looking and searching for something and I think White Rose finally gave her what she was right, looking for. Right. It's
4: whatever White Rose told her to do, basically.
3: Mm. Her big purpose.
4: Well, so we're to our last scene now where Elliot's out on the street and he figures it out that he should be asking where he's going, not Mr. Robot. The cab door opens, and the driver asks if he's Elliot. He's unsure how the cabbie knows this, and feeling a little strange, he gets in, says he doesn't know the destination. They're at an impasse until the other door opens, and somebody gets in. And who is it? It's Tyrell. Tyrell.
2: We've been waiting for this.
4: Big moment we've been waiting for. And I have to say, A, it was so anticlimactic. I mean, he just gets in and he says, Chambers and Church, and they're sitting there. And...
0: We have to be careful now. This is no longer a question of what I'm seeing. No. We know that's not reliable. The real question is... What am I not seeing? You have to understand, us two meeting right now, it's dangerous. Don't worry, we're safe. Our partners have proven to be very influential.
4: You know, he just wasn't acting Tyrellish. So I've always hated this Elliot is Tyrell theory, but I have to say something was going on here. This was not the Tyrell we remember. There was oh. no affectations. There was even something weird about the way he was talking. Yeah. Like, he didn't quite have the same, um, like, almost. He didn't have an accent in season one, but there was just a difference to the way he said his words.
2: Well, his cadence was different. His cadence reminded me of, and I played you this, uh, Matrix. I'm um, forgetting his name right now. The main bad guy that always says, Mr. Anderson... He okay. kind of had, Smith. a resemb- Mr. Smith, that's right. Uh, he had, uh, a, it was very similar, the cadence, in certain sections, not the whole time, but especially when he first starts speaking. Mm. I got that from it. And I disagree with you with anticlimactic. It was, it was climactic in a Mr. Robot kind of way, where like he just, boom, he comes into it, you hear the door close, you see Elliot's face, and then you hear him talking, then you see his face. I thought that was perfect. It was a good reveal. I was like,
4: oh, shit, Tyrell! I wasn't really excited about it because a minute later, they really put the focus back on Elliot, who is freaking out. I mean, he doesn't know if this is really happening. He's asking the cabbie, "Um, this is not a question of what I'm seeing. We know that that's not reliable. It's a question of what I'm not seeing, which we'll get back to that because I don't really know what that was about. Um, But, you know, when he asks him if they should be meeting now, if it's dangerous, Tyrell says that they're safe because their partners have proven to be very influential and he's trying to ask the cabbie if he sees it. Do you hear this man? Is he really here right now? And when he's not answering, he starts getting upset and he's banging on the window. He's yelling at him. I mean, it almost gets out of control until he finally kicks them out and him and Tyrell have to go out into the street. So what is it that he's not seeing? Um, You you know, when he says, it's not a question of what I'm seeing, because we know we can't rely on that, but what I'm not seeing.
2: I don't know. I I loved that. Let me just say it again. This is no longer a question of what I'm seeing. No, we know that's not reliable. Mm -hmm. The question is what I am not seeing. That's like my favorite quote of the entire series right now. Mm -hmm. The unreliable Uh, narrator, which we always talk about, and And he knows he's not reliable now.
4: This has got to be burning all those people who said Tyrell is Elliot. Yeah. Um, Is what he's not seeing, the fact that Tyrell is not actually there right now. And there was even a moment in the cab when he's talking back and forth between him and Tyrell, and it's getting very confused where the voice is coming from, and at one point it actually sounds like it could be Mr. Robot's voice speaking, um, and if you look at the preview for the next um, episode, the second part of the finale, see all three of them. it's the three of them standing there with Elliot in the middle and the two of them flanking him. So it definitely, even for somebody who is a firm non-believer and still hates this theory, it's making me wonder what's happening with Tyrell.
2: I think, uh, if anything, and we've said this before, Tyrell was real. Mm-hmm. Tyrell's I now still dead. I still believe that, yes. And Elliot has absorbed, I guess that's the right word, that personality
3: into himself as right. well.
4: Right, assumed it as one assumed, of his. Assumed, yes.
3: Right, alders. so it goes back to the, what is it, the popcorn machine? Yes. Yep. So he either killed him or filled him in on every single thing that went on, right?
1: Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah.
3: That's why Tyrell would disappear and now be working with Elliot. So it's either uh, um, one of those two things, or working with Mr. Robot, right? Because previously he had no idea. I mean, he was working with Mr. Robot, but Mr. Robot never 100% filled him in, which is why he he walked in the way he did. And that's what makes me believe that Tyrell's not real, because there was an interaction with Mr. Robot and Tyrell independent of Elliot being there when we didn't know if Elliot, if Mr. Robot was a fiction of his imagination, right?
4: Well, and the fact that, I mean, Elliot is, I'm sorry, Tyrell is a very wanted man right now, very sought after, and he's just openly, like when they get kicked out of the cab, strolling down the street with Elliot, seemingly without a care in the world. right. Um, well, he
2: did say uh,
4: we're
3: exposed.
2: Yeah, but also we have some very powerful co-workers or friends or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, even
3: the um I mean, his uh, the whole interaction with, um, well, Elliot needing to find Tyrell or Mr. Robot needing to find Tyrell and everything, it makes me feel that Tyrell has to be an independent entity because I don't think Mr. Robot would know Tyrell's not real and have to go through all this code and stuff that he did in the room to find out where Tyrell right. was. Right. He, <laughs> he would just know that it's him. I'm part of you. Why am I doing all this yeah, computer that, stuff? Th- to that would be very I weird.
2: Am. I think right. Joanna is going to be the key to us knowing if he's real or not. Whatever this whole, uh, my, yeah. best, my favorite gift or best gift ever.
4: The fact that she's still playing in as an important character, even though we don't see her relating to the plot, must right. mean that she ties in that way somehow. Um, so after they get kicked out of the cab, and Tyrell is sort of like, dude, why are you freaking out? What's going on? Um, and he says he knows he's been under stress, but so has he. So is Tyrell. And basically, can you imagine what it's been like for him? Which, no, we can't. Please, Tyrell, tell us. Mm-hmm. And then he says, enough of these games. Let's go. We're close. The DA told me stage two is ready. When you see it, you'll be pleased. It worked, Elliot. It's up to us now. Let me show you. And that's when he puts his arm around him and says, Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
3: Who's Louis?
4: From the old... Um...
3: Casablanca? Casablanca, yes. yeah.
4: Yeah. Louis, Louis, Louis. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
2: I like that walk away, the, the, the angle and right. walking out. Louis I like that so. fade to black. I the think to that's to perfect for music. a a mid section of a part. Because no, in Casablanca,
3: was the guy's name Louis?
4: Oh yeah, that's definitely from Casablanca.
3: Because I didn't know. Because I know Reynolds is the guy who says it. Uh huh. I love Casablanca, but I can't remember the main guy's name.
4: Oh, Was it I, I, I'm, I, I'm assuming, I, I, but I don't remember. Okay.
3: I'll look that up because Casablanca, well, that's a very classic scene, and I never knew it until I watched that movie that that's where it came from. And uh-huh. a lot of lines came from. Because
4: well, that's been reused in so many movies since so then, many, but that line? It's
3: not that line? Every line, if you look at Casablanca, so many lines <laughs>
4: from
3: almost everything has been used from that movie. It's a really good movie. Like one of the best I've ever seen, but.
4: Well, so you scene... guys like this ending for the movie? Well, mid- yeah,
3: I did, and you know what? Even in the
2: ending, it, it's the same clip of them walking away.
3: Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Oh, so he says it to Reynolds?
2: Yes. Well, he said Louis,
3: though. No, no. Louis saying it to Reynolds. Oh, no. Rick, Rick tells Louis. Rick. So Rick tells. Uh, so it's Louis Reynolds. Okay. That's why it's Louis. Oh, okay. I see. That's why I didn't understand the Louis part. I'm like, okay. So if he's saying it to him. Wow. Because, I mean, those two guys were. If you look at that movie, they almost had the same type of relationship as Tyrell and Elliot? Friend and foe, friend and foe, friend. Okay.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I like it. I just feel like, to me, it felt a little bit like this was supposed to be the intermission, if you will, like they had in uh, episodes one and two. Mm -hmm. And then we would go right to getting some of those answers. And I think that's why it felt anticlimactic, because it was never supposed to be cut in this place. and we were supposed to get a little bit more of the Tyrell interaction, and now they had to come back in later and find a spot, and it's just too long on the cliffhanger of a week. But, I mean, other than that, I I, I guess, you know, it was okay. I just wanted more after a whole season of wondering where's Tyrell, and this was kind of it.
2: Uh, I don't agree. I think I enjoyed it. I think it was perfect. It was definitely Mr. Robot-esque, you know, not... Yeah,
3: I- I, I I I loved it. Um it was um uh, like everything else. I, I, I've been going along with it. It was kind of cheesy-ish. But mm-hmm. I like that we can add some of that because it's it's way too serious sometimes with Mr. Robot. And my mind was put in a blender. Yes. Yeah, yeah well that's out. true. Yeah, I don't like when like I mean the way they did it, like, it was on purpose. Put in my mind into Blender, and the reason why I say that it's on purpose is because of the setup. I didn't get to see Darlene. Like I'm waiting,
4: I, you know. Oh yeah, huge alive? question unanswered. They,
3: they didn't give me that. They go into an interview, or they show a Dom talking. They still don't hint, but there's blood and several people dead. Then they start bringing me into a possibly multi-dimensional world. White right. Rose shows up. We still don't
4: know up. White Rose's full plan.
3: Yeah, there's a whole thing with this might have been started from the beginning. E-Corps taking over. So basically, before they put my mind in the blender, they put kale in first to make me know that this is a smoothie that I'm going to have <laughs> to drink.
4: <laughs> but then they still they, didn't give you a total answer on that. So, no, there's like, nothing. And I think the there, there still needs to be a certain amount of these questions answered in part two, or it's going to feel very unsatisfying. Where cool. we Thank said Esmail has a plan and he's going to wrap it all up by the end of the season. He's got to get to at least a couple of these things next week, right? Well, well that's Yes, why I- in an oh.
2: interview with uh, Rami... He did say in these last two episodes, you're going to get a lot of your answers, uh, questions answered. Mm-hmm. So I think so.
3: Well, that's why I needed sort of a soft landing, because I, I, I couldn't take any more. Like, if you left me on a cliffhanger with all the things that I have to worry about, I mean, oh yeah! Walking dead, I, I mean? didn't
4: want a cliffhanger. I wanted action. Like I wanted to see where it was they were going together. I wanted to see what is phase two. I wanted something like you said: is Darlene alive, or what is White Rose's plan, or anything? You know. But I guess it, it was like even the one answer that we thought we got: well, is Tyrell alive? We still don't even know. By the end of this episode, we're well, left yeah. to wonder.
2: I think he's doing that on purpose so that we feel the frustration that Elliot's feeling.
4: Right. Absolutely.
2: I have to say, with all these things, all these extra websites, all these um, meanings inside of meanings of, like, other real-life poems and books and Mm -hmm. video games, this must be, like, Sam Esmail's... What is it called when it's, like, a life's work, a, a culmination of life's work?
4: Oh yeah.
2: A coup de car or something. Like this is it. Like I feel like he's put so much time In into coup de gras.
4: this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just there's no way he can make another series a coup de ta, or a coup d'etat. Right? There's no way well, we'll get a a thousand emails saying I'm an idiot and I should've known. But uh I, I just can't see someone being able to pull this kind of thing again with anything else. Not I as, mean, not as crazy like this.
3: I, 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 we, um, it's, um, we needed something like this. We're in a technological world, and honestly, I've seen so much in this that's dealing with what Anonymous was talking about, fractionalized banking system, my favorite movie, Fight Club, what anarchy looks like, China, it's dealing with hacking China, China. The, the rush to Africa, banking and corporations control and everything. So it's been a wonderful ride because it's dealing with <laughs> no, so many different things. And it's
4: been great, and I agree with you.
3: This, this, this. You know what this feels like? It feels like the turning point of our generation. Mm, yeah. It really feels like we've had a lot of different series and right now we get to get netflix which gives us everything all at once which is great and you know it's very easy to miss when you are in the midst of a revolution and that's what our age had and people who are five years older than us and eight years older than us if you have older brothers and sisters they didn't have it at our age Right. We have it at our, our age where we're kind of on the cusp, where we don't have to worry about the shit that they have to worry about. But a lot of this revolution is happening, and I believe this is one of the TV shows that is showing and culminating everything. Because information comes at us very quick through social media. We learn things very quick and we get propaganda that are complete lies that can be demonstrated with an image very quick as well so and we don't retain anymore we because don't because uh, we're getting so much at us uh, yeah it's almost like we don't have to you know when i didn't yeah. have a phone which is probably for our generation part of the revolution or evolution if you leave your phone at home anyone and uh-huh. you go to work you have almost left an entire arm yeah. On the liver, like on a table, yeah. And you don't know how you're gonna function. Yeah. So, you know, this type of show is needed because it it culminates everything we're going through as far as technology is concerned, and getting information and getting misinformation just as quickly as you get information. Yeah. So.
4: I agree with that, and I I love all of this. I, I just feel that. He has brought up a lot of really great topics and put in a lot of things that are very, very real. He's got excellent ideas, but throughout the course of this season, he has planted a lot of flags. He has raised a ton of questions, and I just don't feel like hardly any of that is paid off. And I've waited a whole very, very long season to get to that, so I'm not feeling any payoff, which is weird at such a late hour at the the penultimate episode if you will to not be getting any of that that i'm i'm a little anxious that next episode will deliver
3: it will well, you know i i feel it goes two ways you know you're either going to get an artist who's going to deliver a bunch of questions and it's just supposed to be Thought provoking and make you question yourself, but that is so not only unsatisfying but not genuine,
1: mm-hmm.
3: right? So, if you get an artist that is scared to tackle the questions that they bring up, mm-hmm. that's when you have a problem. And when you get into the final hour, if you try to answer the questions fast and end up just raising more questions.
4: Right, and that's worrisome. How does he handle that? Because you already have some of this Elliot's lucid dreaming. Is it going to be real? You have a white rose asking what is reality? So if it all weaves into a greater plan, great, but if we're headed towards maybe it was all a dream and was this real and I don't know how to answer these questions and Elliot is everybody and everybody's Elliot, oh my goodness, I'm going to be like, what did I just go through a whole season for? Uh, but I don't think that's it, and I am still very hopeful, so we'll see what happens in episode 12. Indeed. You want to get into our robot ratings? Yes. Okay, let me tell you first that Rotten Tomatoes gave this a 91%, and IMDB gave it a 9.3. So nice. we're, we're a little bit low, actually, for them on their ratings levels. Um, but I am also going to give it a 93 And one of the critical consensus quotes, I feel, sums it up pretty good. They said the penultimate episode of season two oozed with information and confusion in what felt like another stylistic turn. The confusion is intentional, not the product of aimless show running. Esmail has a plan in place and it has the feel of a tease, a well-crafted tease with some delightful moments, but which didn't feel entirely substantial enough. So that kind of split um, is definitely what I'm feeling, but a lot more good than bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you graded it pretty high for how much you hated uh, Tyrell's back entrance. So people, before you start saying she's a hater... He's not Oh, I
4: loved before. the whole episode. Um, it was the, the ending, which I feel is very much just the result of him wanting it to be one episode and it getting split up, so right. I get that. And yeah. um, the being concerned for the part two, but I'm only grading it on part one because part two hasn't happened. So yes. I'm right up there where I normally am around that, that
2: 9.3. I'm going to give it a 9.0. Um, I actually like Tyrell's reveal. Mm-hmm. I love the whole scene with Angela and White Rose, even before she, White Rose came. Mm. The Commodore '64, the oh, game, yeah. the 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 eeriness, all the um, throwbacks to time and the music from Back to the Future. <laughs> I loved <laughs> it. I still don't know if Darlene or Cisco are dead. Uh, again, he hasn't given us confirmation on these people. Yeah, I did say last episode that. Uh, when those two people came in front of Angela, that they probably weren't FBI agents and instead were dark army peeps. Yep. And that they weren't there to kill her, but instead take her somewhere. So I was right about that. Yeah. Though I thought that they would maybe take them where somewhere and Mobley and Trenton would be there. Oh, so yeah. We still don't there. know
4: Mobley and Trent.
2: So we don't know Mobley and Trenton as well. And I don't anticipate getting every answer, No. Uh, Answered uh, every question. I keep saying that. Every question answered next week. But I think we're going to get a lot of big ones answered. And it's going to be enough to keep us satisfied and uh, wanting next season.
4: For season three. Yeah.
3: Jam Jam. I I liked it. I'm going to give it a 9.5. Nice. And the reason is. It is a very dark tunnel that I've been led on Hmm. the whole way. Jersey tunnel? And, well, you know what it is? Lincoln Lincoln tunnel. I've been made to feel like I'm part of this because he interacts with me, and obviously he doesn't know where he's going with this.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Elliot with a plan, and no one seems to grasp the entire idea yeah. of what's going on. And I feel very much a part of it, and I'm entertained the entire way through it. And every episode has been leading me down this same, same yeah. dark path. And you know, when I it was season one, and how season one ended, I got it. I did get it. So I'm hoping for season two, that I'm going to get it as well. And I love how I've been wondering what's going on. I love the little breaks when ALF came in and they did commercials. Yeah. Like, they've put in so, so many much detail into everything that I've been given every episode a high rating in anticipation to where this thing will all end <laughs> And
4: Oh, yeah. You know, I'm with you, Jamal. As much as I have been putting in my thoughts and opinions, I've been at a high rating all season as well.
3: Well, you guys have been like when you guys say nine point one and everything and you got all the criticism, you guys have been nines, you know? Yeah. So it's, you guys love the love the, the whole show. thing. I, I don't think
4: critiquing a show that I'm in love with for right. the tiny things that I get frustrated with. Well,
3: the about. tiny things think about it? It's 0. 0.3 difference between mine or 0. 0.4 difference between my or your rating. So yeah. definitely this show is getting all the love uh, uh, yeah. period. So you know. <laughs> doesn't it
2: feel I, like it was ages ago when Elliot was in jail? Like
3: it yeah. feels like it was a different season.
2: Yeah, or something. a lot's happened. So much. That's happened. what I
3: mean. It, these, these episodes are so long that I'm like, whoa. And it, I, I kind of like the feeling of not knowing what this show's about. I yeah. can't describe it, and I almost feel like I can't ruin any episodes in the big scheme of things because nobody knows what this thing's about.
4: Well, sometimes, yeah, I need a little bit of that payoff. But we do get a really good preview for our finale episode 12, which real, will be.
2: Wait, real quick. I just remembered, or not remembered, I wanted to talk about just real quick. There's two things that um, I'm thrown off about. One, I thought Mr. Robot and Elliot were working together. So Elliot shouldn't be in the dark about this, right? If they were really still like now working together, Mr. Robot would have told Elliot what
4: well, we Phase don't, 2 was. Yeah, we still don't know what Elliot's knowledge of Phase 2 is. It doesn't seem like he knows a lot about it, but we haven't really gotten confirmation on his level of understanding.
2: Well, he didn't know it was his. He said, he screamed, what is his Right, to? after
4: that. We we oh. don't know if he found out anything more since then, but okay. it doesn't seem like it.
3: And we definitely so, feel like we can't trust Mr. Robot. Like yeah, he's put he was it out supposed there, to be like, helping
2: us. What? Exactly, like at the end of the whole jail thing—he was supposed to—he was our savior. He was the one to help us. And, and well,
4: uh, he
3: has to help
4: us. He's helping himself.
2: I mean, but I—I I mean I,
4: I have still grappled with—is he doing that to protect him? Is phase two going to oh, be right. something that he thinks Elliot wouldn't agree with? That's going to go morally against what he's about. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think we have to see what that is then to figure it out. But it does seem that Mr. Robot has certainly been keeping these things. And what yes, happened yeah, with the- and if
3: Elliot is the God he needs, you know, it's not that Elliot needs him. He needs Elliot. He needs to deceive Elliot. He needs to make Elliot always feel like he's his friend until those critical moments where he feels he has to take over.
2: Yeah. And what happened with the overheating? I guess they're not doing that anymore. They're not. He's not overheating right now. I don't know.
4: Yeah, that's what I mean. They he's planted so many flags that he hasn't gone back to. And like you said, I don't need all the answers next week, but I do need some of them. We've had yeah. so many things over the course of this season that he's brought up and I know there'll be a season 3, so you know, we got to move slowly, but I think that if you want to keep people interested in your finale, you have to at least pay off enough. Um, so, you know, they do tell us in our preview of the, uh, episode 12, part two, that we're going to get the final secret. Um, they say, you really don't remember this, do you? Um, the wait is over. You see Elliot, Mr. Robot and Tyrell standing there, all three of them together and saying, are you ready to look at what we accomplished?
2: That's exciting.
4: So I bring that up to, to respond to that. I think that we are going to get some of what Phase two is. I think hopefully we'll get a little more of the understanding of what's going on between these three, and that will hopefully bring us to the answers of what was going on between the two of them and all of that crazy nonsense, um, I hope.
2: All right, on to Clatcher's comments. I want to give a shout out to DartagBA, Curious Squid, Wade Mystery, Mac Addict 16. AH421, who, who, that's a name, yeah. for leaving amazing reviews on our Mr. Robot podcast channel.
4: Oh, yes.
2: Uh, that's a lot we got in a week, and every single one, there was very, very kind words. They, they say they, it's like hanging out with friends, mm. and they're so glad they found us, so we appreciate those kind words. Oh, and, thank you. And to Chaka Booty <laughs> for <laughs> your review on our Coffee Class Crew podcast channel. Awesome. And it was also in regards to the Mr. Robot podcast. So thank you so much. You rock. Uh, another shout out to one of our Twitter followers. The name is a nerd riot rights. Thanks for keeping her company during a commute. So um, we're glad we could. Thank you for that.
4: Awesome. Yeah, we got a write in from Paige who said about the letter we were discussing last episode Um, being an upcoming letter that Elliot would receive with White Rose's plans, um, that she thought it was just the first letter he received in prison saying that he was going to be released, which we did talk about that possibility, and given the fact that they didn't go back to it, seems likely. So thank you very much for that. Um, Candace wrote in to discuss what we've just been talking about now, saying that she believes Elliot shot Tyrell while under the Mr. Robot identity, and that Tyrell is now a part of Elliot's identity, but also with that being said, that Elliot might have killed his own father, and Mm. thus assumed his identity, and that's how it started. Which is something we never really thought about. Mm -hmm. You know, we've kind of danced around different topics like that, but that gives us something new to think about, so thank you, Candace.
2: That was nice. I like that.
4: Um, Leslie says she loves our podcast and she's seeing details now she didn't know to look for before, so that is great. And one of them is she references our recent debate a little while back about if Gideon had ever told Dom about Elliot or told anybody about Elliot, for that matter, before he was killed. And goes on to say that there was a brief scene where you see the back of Gideon's head and Dom walks in, seemingly to question him. Um, and that's it. There's like a second and that you could easily miss that. So there was this seeming mystery interaction right before he went into the bar where we actually did see Dom and they were about to talk. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. I never even noticed that. That's an awesome thing to point out. Yeah. Wade wrote in with a super nice email, starting out by saying that pretty much none of his friends watch this show. So he has enjoyed listening to the podcast and we're always glad to bring... Um, that interaction, and he had a bunch of really great theories. I want to go quickly through them because they were all amazing. He thought it would be interesting to compare the scenes between Colby and Price uh, with the scenes between Angela and Elliot. So when Colby asked Price why he's doing all of this, what is his bigger purpose... And then the scene on the subway when Angela asks Elliot why he started F Society, Mm. why all of this. So it just draws like a really awesome parallel between the two of that. So I don't know if you guys see anything deeper into um, pulling those two scenes together, but...
2: It's definitely interesting.
4: It's like questioning the person in power, why they've done what they've done. Yeah. Um, He also says that he agrees with what we were talking about with Angela's sudden shift last episode where she decided to bail out and that she was just going to turn herself in. And she agreed with, I think, both Jamal and Ryan, but more so you, Jamal, was saying that Dom really had an effect on Angela and what she said really prompted that for her to turn herself in. Um, He thinks that she's actually carrying out Dom's dream where Dom talks about bringing peace to the girl who finally stopped fighting when she stopped her struggle, that's when she was, she was okay and mm-hmm. she woke up, that that's what she's actually falling through on, that she needs to stop struggling. Nice. So that was a, a nice little thing that I had missed. And finally, he believes that Cisco was a casualty in the last episode, which would give Darlene a way out of this entire mess, considering that Cisco is the only one they have evidence on. Mm. So it would be able to kind of put it all on that. So really great thoughts. Thank you so much, Wade. And finally to Nick, who sent us in a bunch of things as well. He was actually talking about Theodore Roosevelt being in the background, uh, which goes along with our discussion earlier. And he's the one that pointed us to the square deal information with the three Cs and right. the idea of what price could be onto. He also sent us that Reddit theory about implanting the alternate personalities. Um, So Angela and Elliot, perhaps, that could be what's going on with them, that they were an experiment. Right. But it was really more of not a robot thing and them just having two personalities within them. I like that. So thank you very much. We always love when you guys send us information and links about the episode we are about to review because that really helps us in our research to explore areas we hadn't thought of yet. And it um, feels like
2: we're all working together to, to,
3: to figure Ray out this Elliot's puzzle. Plan yeah. Second phase.
4: Yeah, that's really awesome. So if you ever come across something, please feel free to email us and let us know.
2: Twitter, Dumbo Doggies and Lazy Ace one Thank you for your tweets. We appreciate it. Um, and uh, that's it. We went long again. It's impossible not to with this Mr. Robot. There's so much to talk about.
4: I'm sure it'll be no different in our last episode.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And just a reminder, on our Twitter, at ckc podcast, we have a poll going on for two days. Is Tyrell real or in Elliot's mind? Let us know. Mm. Let's see what everyone thinks. And while you're there, if you're not following us on there already, do so, please. And subscribe to our podcast channel. Write a review... And uh, let's keep the ball rolling. Jamal, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
4: <laughs>
2: and to Clatchers, till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.